Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, here we go. Another Friday. It's uh, It's been, uh, as usual, a pretty incredible week. Uh, yesterday, if you missed yesterday's show, you definitely want to catch the podcast. Uh, we started off with Jason Myers, uh, who's a friend of mine has, uh, in, here in Milton, Florida, uh, is starting up a, a local gun range, but not only a, a gun range. He's got uh, the store. He's got 24-hour ordering. He's got axe throwing. <laughs> we talked about that yesterday. I actually tried it. I, and personally, I suck. I mean, I, I'm terrible. I, I don't throw well anyway. You know, if I ever have to, uh, not that it's going to happen, but I think, you know, weird things like if I ever have to throw out the first pitch in the game, I'm going to have to take some throwing lessons because I really am not good at it. Uh, throwing knives, throwing axes, I've tried. Uh, but eh, I work at it, you know. So the great episodes on, on uh, what's my, one of my favorite cult films, or, or what do they call them, pulp, pulp films or, or something. Uh, anyway, campy uh, B films, <laughs> uh, Starship Troopers. Well, they that knife scene where they're, they're throwing these knives incredibly accurately. See, knife throwing is all based on distance. Axe throwing is based on distance because the, the, what you're throwing has to rotate uh, so that the blade meets whatever you're trying to uh, impact into, uh, plywood, you know, targets, things like that. Um, otherwise, it doesn't do anything, you know, hit with the back end of it or, or, or the, the handle or something else. So it's only accurate because they've got the right distance because these things are rotating. Anyway, uh, just a sideline. But uh, it's fascinating. They've got archery, which I want to get back into. I, I just like things that, uh, you know, take flight, you know, bullets, arrows, <laughs> all these different things are just fascinating to me and, and well worth trying. So that was the first hour. Second hour, we had Dr. Deborah Viglione, who's one of our local uh, uh, COVID warriors. Here. Uh, she's in, in Gulf Breeze. And active practice, you know, in the trenches, as they say, clinician, you know, sees patients all the time. And, and we heard uh, part of the story yesterday of COVID. And I'm going to have her back because we had a lot more to talk about. And so I'll get her back for a part two. And we can talk about uh, how the book came about. Uh, it's, it's COVID. Um, let me see if I, oh, if I tell you. See, it's, this is what happens when I don't think. You know, and prepare ahead of time. Let me just pull up. I have an image of the book title. So let me pull that up right now. And so you get some details here. COVID-19, Vaccines and Beyond, What the Medical Industrial Complex is Not Telling Us. Uh, it's by Sally Saxon, uh, who's a lawyer, and I see JD by her name. Uh, Deborah Viglione, who's a doctor, MD, and James A. Thorpe, MD. And uh, Jim's been on the show a bunch of times, too. Uh, he was a regular on our World's Greatest Doctors panel. Uh, Deborah joined us periodically. Um, if I seem informal when I don't give all the titles and things, we're really pretty informal here at Action Radio. So, you know, Dr. Judy Mikovits, who joined us yesterday also, uh, is Judy. You know, Deborah uh, D is, you know, Deb. <laughs> James A. Thorpe, MD, is Jim. So we, uh, and, and it's kind of interesting. I feel, in, in some ways, I felt a little silly doing that. But it makes a lot of sense because now people are very casual. And they're, they're, I think they, people are more free to talk uh, in an informal environment. And these folks are still under restrictions because they've got all the, all the problems they had before with government trying to censor them, with li- medical boards trying to take their licenses away. And if it were just purely based on evidence of, of who, you know, who got through COVID well, who got through COVID quickly, who was successfully treated, um, it's going to be the COVID docs that are you're using, you know, vitamins, uh, what else, the Zelenko protocol. Um, what, zinc, vitamin D3, vitamin C, uh, zithromycin for uh, pneumonia, and, and the big one, hydroxychloroquine. 
uh, and then later ivermectin. So those, you know, if you want to take it, um, you know, when you talk about misinformation, you know, the misinformation is the doctor saying remdesivir works when, uh, and the ventilators work when they don't, overwhelmingly don't, like, like, you know, in a ridiculously high percentage, that that is in fact a death sentence. Whereas, you know, the hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, the other uh, treatments work. And it's proven to work because we know those folks are, you know, unless something else happened, you know, still around. And so, you know, people say, well, you're not following the science and it's misinformation. Okay, well, let's just judge the people who, who survived, survived well, got over it well, and are doing just fine. And the people who got the, the standard government are not with us. So if you want to go purely um, empirically and just take evidence, that's a good way to do it. So anyway, there's more to the story. And I want to get to Dr. V, as we call her around here, back uh, on the show. And the third hour. We had Diane Warner, who did her first uh, election integrity report. And so that was great. And so we have a lot of things to talk about there. And I want to carry her through uh, for at least, you know, a couple of years through the 2024 election, probably longer, because I'm sure there's going to be fraud in that one, too. So this, this might be a long, um, ongoing report. So yesterday was a very interesting day. And so I want to have more of those. I mean, this, this whole week uh, has been interesting. Next week could be very interesting also. Um, I'm hoping to get uh, David Stockman, who has a new book out. And if you're him, that, that nerdy looking guy wearing the glasses in the Reagan administration who came up with the budget and said, you people, these budgets are terrible. And he had all these cutbacks and all these other things. Anyway, he's got a book out. But what I wanted to ask him about the, uh, our bill, our constitutional amendment uh, to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Personally, I think he'll be thrilled. Uh, and I'd be very interested to see um, if I can enlist his, his help possibly in talking about that you know, in different venues once he's done the book thing. Um, and I, have, I have a book in mind I want to write too, so I'll be doing the book thing as well. I shouldn't just call it the book thing. But anyway, if we can get David Sockman to uh, endorse uh, our constitutional amendment, that would be huge. And so I'll, I'll ask him about that when I see if I get some contact to send him the bill. Uh, actually, I already have with uh, the folks that are helping bring him on. You know, my, my gurus, my Washington, D.C. gurus uh, who help with just amazing things on the show here. So that's and so we'll see if we can get to David Stockman. Uh, so usually the way this works is we, uh, I get a few minutes to talk about my bills, but really the, the whole idea is that whatever it is that they are marketing, usually a new book, that's where, where most of the, the questions go. And a lot of times um, they'll, they'll request, you know, the, the, it not be a big discussion. I just talk to the, uh, the person individually. And I want to do that anyway because these big national figures, I want to talk to them. That's why I got into radio. <laughs> so if, if you find, if you think I'm being selfish and monopolizing the conversation, well, yes, you're right. But yes, there's a reason for, for, for doing so. I have so much time and so many things I want to cover. So uh, I was chatting off air yesterday with, with Derek Park, our financial reporter. And we're sort of thinking, you know, what, what can we talk about in the economic news? Because it's like the problems, the things we've talked about, because we were way out in front uh, when it came to inflation. We told you that inflation was coming as soon as I saw the, the $5 trillion of spending, you know, with COVID back in 2020. I said, well, this is going to cause inflation. We knew it would, you know, and, and Derek's a smart guy, and he, he knew it, you know. And so we talk, and then, of course, well, inflation leads to recession because the, the Fed uses recession to, to pull back the economy to lower demand. In other words, make the economy so bad people can't spend money, and that somehow lowers prices because that suppliers to lower their prices to, to try and uh, sell their stuff with the lower demand. That's the whole principle of, of what goes on in, you know, when you have the Fed raising interest rates. The interest rates make loans more expensive, so people don't borrow money to do really cool things like you know, improve their factories and uh, expand their businesses and market their, their companies and all the other things that companies take business loans for. So they can't do that. So that cuts back. 
when you raise interest rates, you make uh, mortgages more expensive. You make credit cards more expensive. You make uh, any kind of consumer loan more expensive, home improvement loans, any kind of, any kind of loan becomes more expensive because you've raised interest rates. Uh, that raises the price of everything, including housing, food. Uh, travel is going to be cut way back. Uh, because the price of fuel is more expensive. Well, why is that? Well, because there, we're going to be out of our strategic petroleum reserve one of these days. Uh, the Brandon administration is giving away our emergency, you know, basically military supply uh, of oil, selling it on the world market, uh, making our trade deficit look, but in the long run, uh, really screwing us over because once that gets low enough and they stop selling that oil, that price is going to, I don't know, it's going to go up. I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an economic forecaster. I don't trust forecasts anyway. But it looks to me that it's going to be a whole lot in a very short period. And that's why, you know, buckle down and the economy is only going to be terrible. So all you folks that uh, were concerned, you know, all, all the left, that they were concerned with uh, uh, the, the imagined right to, to uh, you know, kill for an abortion. We should call it an abortion kill. So do you believe in the right to an abortion kill? Uh, you know, that, that would phrase the whole argument entirely differently. So for those folks that, that think that that was the major issue, uh, or that this, you know, the Supreme Court's taking away everybody's rights rather than correcting the fact that they couldn't create rights in the first place. Uh, if that was your issue, if you, if you actually thought that, uh, believe the propaganda that Brandon is actually doing something right for this country when the obvious uh, evidence is clearly to the opposite, then we got screwed over. But it makes sense because the geldings don't fight back. The geldings, the GOP, the gelding old party doesn't fight back. I've got an article from Emerald Robinson on that, and uh, I'd like to get back on our show. It was really fun the first time, um, but there's a lot more bills to talk, like our constitutional amendment, like our vaccine product liability, um, like um, big tech, any big tech censorship. And there's another bill that's going to be very important um, coming up here soon. In fact, I might get that to her, and I'll send it to Derek. Maybe we can talk about it um, next week. And that is, uh, there's, there's, actually, there's two bills. One that Jonathan Mosley wrote. Jonathan's our legal reporter and an attorney, criminal defense attorney. He wrote a bill to handle all the bankruptcies that are coming because of the because uh, of COVID. And when they pull back on the money and they uh, and all these pauses and holds on loans and things that once those get lifted, a lot of people are going to go bankrupt. And so that there's a way to handle that. But a mass bankruptcy is called a crash. <laughs> Savings and loan crash 2008. You know the the, the mortgage crash. You know, so we, we've had crashes, and this, uh, but you got to be able to deal with it. And at Action Radio, being years, literally years ahead of, of, of pretty much everybody else, uh, we already have a bill to deal with it. And Jonathan wrote it, I think, last year or maybe even the year before. So we've got that. My bill, the one I wrote, is for a 30-day comment period, which means that no continuing resolution, no budget, no, no spending bill over $100 million, uh, which may seem low, but I want a lot of things under public comment. So any bill over $100 million, now you're starting to spend real money, right? Uh, and it has to go to public comment. And it goes to 30 days of public comment. And if the budget runs out, then the government shuts down during that 30 days. Exceptions to this rule. Um, you know, and you can't, and uh, that, would be, that would make a huge difference. And yeah, they can still you know, raise the, the debt ceiling. They can do what they want. But the, that would be another, you know, that, if that's over $100 million, you know, raising the debt ceiling, that would go to 30-day comment. And so these things would be severely restricted. Now, will Congress do that? Not voluntarily any more than they would uh, do any of the other things we're doing. Uh, they're so beholden to big pharma, we're going to have to highly encourage them, um, coerce them, if, anything, if you don't vote for this, then we're not going to vote for you kind of thing, uh, to get product liability on vaccine makers. And so a lot of these things are going to take an amazing amount of, of public pressure. And so if you want these things, you know, it's, we're in kind of a weird um, 
contradiction right now. People, I think, aren't supporting and sharing the shows because they don't want successes right away. But you won't see the successes if you don't share the shows and share the bills. And so it's like the old saying, nothing succeeds like success. You know, once we have enough people behind us to start getting bills passed, everybody's going to start sharing our bills and sharing our shows. But that's not how it works. You need to share the shows now. You need to have the belief now. You need to have the faith now that this is, which I do. I still do. I mean, I haven't, I haven't lost any faith at all. But, uh, I, but it's going to take you to, to believe ahead of time that citizen legislation is a that you can share the bills and share the shows now before you see all the successes. Because unless you do, you never will see the successes. I mean, it's really just that simple. If you want product liability on vaccine makers, you have to share the bill. I mean, it's just that simple. Share the bill. You know, copy the, I, I try to make this as absolutely easy as possible. Go to our, our bill site, writeyourlaws.com. Go to legislation. Go to all proposed laws. That's where you find the good stuff. And the vaccine bill is right near the top. Copy the link and send it everywhere. If you do that, if everybody does that over the weekend, then we'll see some impact. And eventually, you're going to see this in the news. The more people that share our bill, the more, ta- you know, the more chance it's going to be reported locally, statewide, nationally internationally that we're doing something. And so the news, I was, I was uh, putting together a show this morning. I have to, uh, before I play one of my WEBY classic interviews, um, I have to process it, take out the commercials, take out the news breaks, um, take out all the things that are WEBY, I guess, proprietary, you know, like the sponsors and things like that. Um, and then play the interview, which as far as I'm concerned is mine. <laughs> you know, I'm the one that did it. Uh, it comes under action radio, so it's mine. And so what I do is I, I, and we have uh, an interview I'm going to play in the third hour. This one should be interesting. This is Matt Feebig. And Matt was the guy that cleaned WBY at the time. He had a cleaning business, a very environmentally friendly uh, cleaning business. And he was my first interview. And so if you want to hear how, how all this started five years ago, March 2nd. My first show was March 1st. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No, I, no, I think that was my first show, March 2nd. Because March 1st, I was, I was watching uh, uh, the previous host. He was kind of helping me out a little bit as to how to do my show. So, yeah, this was, actually was my first show, March 2nd. First show on my own. And so it was uh, – I made mistakes. <laughs> and you can hear us you know, walking over the music. And it's just – you know, it took a little time to, uh, to get this going. But I did have a little experience. I think I had maybe 10 shows <laughs> that I did before that. Um, seven in Bakersfield, a couple in uh, Santa Cruz, and various other ones going on all over college. So I did have a little experience, and I was a, I was a college DJ um, at Ohlone College in Fremont, California, where I learned how to produce and make all these things that you hear on the show, the, all the ads, all the, uh, the special effects things, all the things that uh, you know, bright and cheer your day, like, our, like my Biden dark winter. Let me play that right now. So all this stuff, you know, I, I had this Adobe audition program, and I, I get to make it, but I learned how to make it in college. So if you're looking to do something with your life that's different, Go back to school. Learn something new. And, and because of that, I'm able to do and produce things like this. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom. No liberty. No guns. No representation. No oil. No coal. No nuclear power. No space force. No constitution. No family gatherings. No vacations. Just taxes. Work. Misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country.
Yeah, I made that, I think, October of 2020. So it was right before the November uh, stolen election. You know what? We should start calling it that. We should not call it the election. We just call it the November stolen election. I mean, that makes more sense to me. Anyway, so back to my original thought here that I was talking to, to Derek, well, Derek and I were like typing messages back and forth. I said, what are we going to talk about? What's going on in the economic news? And we're like, mm, you know, we've, we've talked recession. We've talked, uh, you know, we've talked about the prices. We've talked about inflation. We've talked about the fact that uh, it's like standing on the brake. Uh, and the uh, accelerator, the way the government's handling this, the accelerator is spending. You know, so the only way to stop inflation is to stop spending. But well, they never talk about that. Uh, all, all they talk about is the break, which is raising interest rates. But it really, this is economic, you know, break and acceleration standing. <laughs> you know, so they, they, they're, they're hurtling towards inflation uh, by spending all the government money or spending our money. And, and there was a, there was a, I was watching One American News. It was a really good day ball broadcast from last night. So this is about six in the morning. All right, so I'm up at like what 4:30 I think this morning. Uh, it's it's interesting getting up early. I kind of like it, watching the sunrise, and you know, it's pretty cool. Anyway, so you get uh, Peter Schiff was on, and chief economist and global strategist for this thing EuropacFunds.com. So there's a shameless plug for Dan Ball of One American News and Peter Schiff. Um, that's not Adam Schiff. Don't get them confused. The 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 liar that's on the uh, so-called intelligence committee in the House. Uh, Peter Schiff was something very different and very interesting too. So he phrased inflation. Let me put it here. Inflation is the printing of money and then spending it into circulation. So that was really interesting. So the, the government does is uh, the government borrows money that they don't have, um, and that's what increases the national debt. So they borrow money. So they authorize the borrowing of money. Uh, well, then they have to print money to actually pay off that borrowing. And the way they, uh, they rather than actually spend money they have in the treasury to, to pay off the borrowed money, the bills that they're, they're, the programs are funding, uh, they actually um, just print it. And then they spend the printed money uh, and, and use that to pay off the burden of the, the, the borrowing that they're doing. Uh, and then that money then goes into circulation and increases the money supply, which means more dollars, which means each dollar is worth less because they're, they're printing, you know, trillions of new dollars. And that's, what, that's your cause of inflation. And that's what it is. But it was just an interesting phrase, printing money and then spending it into circulation. That made a lot of sense to me because some of these economic concepts, you know, I mean, I know them, I think, <laughs> but I have a little trouble explaining them. Uh, and in fact, I know because if the definition doesn't make perfect sense to me, um, then, then I'm playing very well. I can't even explain it to myself. And I'll do that. I'll, I'll tell you when I'm not, you know, I think, you know, I think there's a better way to talk about this. That's where you see my definitions evolving, you know, over the course of years um, as to how we, uh, how we do stuff and talk about stuff. Anyway, so that's what I found uh, fascinating about that. So there's an interesting concept there. So economic news, this will be kind of a, a primer for, for Derek when he calls in. And we've got um, it's GDP is up. GDP, the gross domestic product, is actually up 2.9% for the third quarter. What does that mean? Well, that means the economy got bigger. We spent more. Um, there was more stuff going on. Uh, but we had two quarters of, of negative growth. In other words, the economy contracted. Spending was reduced. Economic activity was reduced. And it looks like the fourth quarter is going to be really reduced, which is unusual because this is the Christmas quarter when people spend all kinds of money. But if you're, if, uh, you know, the, the way things are going, um, enjoy the gas prices now. I would, I would, if you could buy tanks, <laughs> very large storage tanks, this would be a good time. Or buy these uh, futures contracts, you know, and this is, uh, this is probably the big game. I should ask you, I put that down, futures contracts for oil. So I got, uh, I got little things I'm going to write down. And, and we shall see. Let's see, did I get a message? I got a, you know. Uh, okay, not important. Fox News story. So again, the, the, the multitasking of the show, I've got, you know, right hand is on, on pen for paper and mouse and left hand is on keyboard type things. And uh, I'm talking at the same time and then I'm watching my screen. <laughs> and all this is going on all at once. 
So let's go oil futures. There we go. So write that down for Derek. Coming in soon for talking. Some, slow down, Greg. Something interesting for us to talk about. So here's what I have for economic news, just to kind of set up uh, uh, Derek and what's going on. So he's got uh, the report from 7.30 to 8. And then I've got an hour from 8 to 9. Uh, Mike Clinch, who normally does our Science Friday, is not here. So I have some many articles planned. And then the third hour from 9 until 10 a.m., and this is Central Time, uh, I have planned uh, my interview, my very first interview on my very first day on my own at WBY. And as they say, mistakes were made. But it's, it's kind of fascinating. In fact, I want to get Matt back on the show on a regular basis as a reporter. It's five years later. Uh, I'd be curious what he thinks now and especially reflecting on what we talked about back then. It's a really interesting concept of having members of Congress stay in the district and do everything electronically, voting, uh, committee hearings, Zoom stuff, things like that, which is kind of what they did during COVID. So when I think about it, I'll get back, we'll, we'll sort of reevaluate. Anyway, so the news. The news is the, the GDP, the gross domestic product, actually grew in the fourth quarter. That's a good thing. Uh, but there were, there were tens of thousands of layoffs, and that's a and so unemployment is going to be rising substantially. I think Dan Ball reported on One American News, 81,000 uh, recently from high tech have lost their jobs. Okay, so uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And people don't realize that this is, uh, you know, uh, these people are, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to go on unemployment. And what does that mean? Well, that means the government spends more on unemployment, which means that the Democrats are going to spend, you know, several trillion dollars and call it, um, you know, Trump <laughs> You know, economic relief, uh, just, you know, it's not true. I mean, they caused this, but that's what they'll call it, right? And so that's going to increase the deficit spending. Uh, that's going to increase the um, uh, inflation, <laughs> which is going to make the recession worse, <laughs> which is going to cause more unemployment. Because, you know, and the, see how the cycle works? So once you get into this negative economic cycle, everything feeds on everything else. You know, inflation leads to recession, recession leads to unemployment, unemployment leads to spending, spending leads to inflation, inflation leads to, you know, and that's how it works. You know, it's a fascinating cycle, but that's how it works, right? Anyway, so that was interesting. Then I also heard the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR, and, and one of these things that I keep forgetting uh, is that it is being um, sold on the, on the world market. So Brandon, not only is he, as far as I'm concerned, illegally and very possibly, you know, in law, illegally you know, uh, draining our strategic petroleum reserve, which is for emergencies, for like, you know, nuclear war, things like that, okay? That's what it's for. But he's draining it, and, uh, but he's not giving it to us. He's selling it on the world market. So, so I should ask it, another Derek question. So let's go back to oil. Uh, oil from SPR, which is the strategic petroleum reserve, to world market. And he was worried we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. Actually, I was worried we wouldn't have a lot to talk about. So world market, and then to us. Because gas prices are pretty low right now. And I'm, I'm curious how that, how that cycle works. And he's not an oil expert, um, but uh, you never know. I mean, I'm always curious what he does know. But we, a lot of times we have questions that we, we can't answer because we just don't know. In fact, nobody knows. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. So I wrote down here, strategic, strategic petroleum reserve being sold off and stronger dollars made imports cheaper, that helped trade deficit, and that's what helped this quarter. Okay, so that's from Peter Schiff, the, the person I talked about earlier. So when they're selling our oil on the world market, apparently that makes our dollar stronger because people want to buy our oil because we have good oil. We have cleaner, better oil than I think most of, if not the entire rest of the world. We've got great oil. I think it's called sweet crude or something like that, whatever it is. It's lower polluting. It has less stuff in it, fewer tests, um, and it's just oil. 
And so people would rather buy that than uh, than some of like the Middle Eastern oil and some of the other places of oil. Well, Venezuela is not, you know, Venezuela used to be an OPEC. Not anymore. Um, but that's that was a that's a big thing. So U.S. oil is desirable. Well, if we're selling our emergency supply and the world is buying it because it's good oil, uh, that's going to make our trade deficit lower. It's going to make our dollar stronger. The U.S. dollar then becomes more valuable. Well, that's a good thing. Um, because the trade deficit is lower, somehow that makes our our, uh, our growth increase, and that's what makes this quarter look better. And these factors that, that relate to each other, it's a little hard to kind of put them all together, but um, it's it's interesting, you know, to try and relate all these factors. And I'm supposed to know economics, too, <laughs> one would think. Well, I got a Marxist economic uh, uh, education, so that's uh, that's kind of different. So then Peter Schiff said the next quarter, the dollar will fall and the real recession begins. And so... Have a great Christmas. <laughs> God help us in, uh, in January. Now, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, and another thing that was interesting, too, this was good news. Federal Appeals Court uh, denied Brandon uh, his student loan giveaway. That's what I'm calling it. Or as I call it, graduate student welfare. So that might be worth, uh, worth talking about as well. So all these things are happening. It is really, really quite fascinating um, the way a lot of this stuff is working. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. What else have I got here? The railroad strike is another factor. The railroad strike is another factor uh, in this whole equation, and that's another thing to talk to, uh, to Derek about, because Congress intervened, and I think they guaranteed funding somehow um, to, the, uh, to the railroads. And I'm not sure why they even did that. Why, why would they do that? Why would, they, why would it matter? Why would um, you know, Congress get involved at all? In fact, uh, Byron Douglas, I believe that's his name, congressman from Florida here, said, voted against uh, this. And I don't know if it's a bailout, if it's a loan guarantee or what. I haven't, uh, the, the bill hasn't been signed yet by Brandon illegally because everything Brandon does is illegal because he's not allowed to be there, right? Anyway, so um, I wonder how that goes over when, with, our, with our international listeners. Anybody wants to join us internationally, we've got a couple uh, ways you can do that. One, you can tell live chat. So if you're, if you're listening to us live, you know, whatever time zone you're in, you can go to the bottom of our broadcast page and get a free account. Uh, they just want you to sign in so they know who's, uh, who's on board. Uh, and then you can type on live chat. And you can type – we've had Switzerland. Uh, we've had other places. I think Japan checked in. So we've had other countries check in by live chat. And you just type in, and then I will uh, be able to answer that, uh, assuming I check it often enough. Um, the other way to do it is to call our Skype line. And our Skype line – and you do it over the Internet. And you'll scroll down. You see the bottom of our, our broadcast information. We have Skype line uh, – uh, it's live colon period CID period FDDBAC uh, 53A2909DE1. And you'll see that there. And that's the code. That's the, uh, uh, that's the site. And that'll get you directly to our station here. But you have to check in, you know, and then I have to prove count. And then you can call the next time. Uh, and that's, so there's a couple of ways to reach us internationally, which is interesting. So we'll see what's going on there. But the railroad strike is a big uh, deal. And because Christmas time. Why? Because everything travels by rail, <laughs> you know. So that that's that makes it kind of important. Right, where where did my? Uh, well, I guess I didn't have a screen up. Okay, all right. There we go. Um, so I'm curious how that works out. All right. So we got Derek checking in a couple of minutes, and uh, let me just play a couple things for us here, and then we shall be right back with our financial report. Now that I have set the stage economically uh, for all the things that uh, that might be happening to us. And where's my stuff here? Okay, and let's start here. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. 
The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Now let's get back in, in news mode here. So I'm just waiting for Derek to call in here. I've got um, one of the articles I want to check out. I haven't even read it myself. Oh, you know what? He's perfect timing. He's so good at this. So let me, uh, let me play Derek's theme. We'll get right back with uh, economic stuff. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government? To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the market and your money. You know, it's funny, Derek, I was just uh, talking before you came on um, that uh, we had chatted before and said, what are we going to talk about? 
We, we, we've done recession. We've done inflation. Nothing's changing. And then I got a ton of news from uh, One American News this morning. I was listening to uh, Dan Ball's repeat from uh, from last night. There's a ton of stuff going on that we can talk about. Um, but uh, I think we should get to our report early, and then we can get onto that. So how are you doing? How are you handling the freezing Florida weather? Uh, that's supposed to be a whole lot warmer. Uh, and uh, what's going on? How are you doing? Well, it's not necessarily freezing, but, you know, it's 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 a cool time of year. Well, it's supposed to be, I know, but I, I you know, I kind of miss the summer already. <laughs> it is a funny thing. Summer's really bad when you're in it, but as soon as you get that, when you get that forty degree night, you think, you know what, that summer really, really bad. It's all relative. Yeah, February. February is really the only month I can do without because it gets uh, it gets a little frigid. Then, um, you know, January is kind of iffy, and then March is kind of iffy. It just depends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, April, April, May, and June are probably my favorite favorite uh, months of the year. Yeah, fall is too short. We do have. Sometimes the fall definitely gets uh, too short. Um, yeah, interesting. Well, let, let's get into the economic seasons because we seem to be in winter right now and heading for uh, yeah. uh, uh, a, a dark one. So let, let's do something. Start with the report. <laughs> then we can kind of uh, cover all, all the stories that are out there because I've got a bunch of questions for you. Sure. All right. Well, I'll start with the report. Good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Ever Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. Dow stocks move out of bear market. Stocks are climbing again after Powell removed a big overhang by announcing smaller rate increases that could start in December. With value outperforming growth this year, the Dow Jones moved out of bear market territory well above lows reached earlier in the year. An inflation report released today shows inflation uh, softer than expected. A sign of growth continues to slow, but the level is still above the Fed's 2% target. European and Asian shares are also back up on the U.S. rally. Treasuries are rallying as fixed-income investors price in a lower terminal rate, and the price of oil is up in recent days after OPEC Plus announced a sizable output cut to addressing falling demand in Asia. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, closed up 50.56% to 34.397. The NASDAQ closed up 14 points, or 0.13, at 11,482, and the S&P 500 closed down three points, or 0.08 to 4,077. And in the bond market, the 10-year Treasury yield is trading at 3.51%, lower by 0.19. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 82 cents, or 1.02%, to 8137 and the spot price of gold was up $57 or 3.26% to $1,817.30. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm, interesting. Let's start with the oil futures because I'm thinking uh, we're running out of our strategic petroleum <laughs> reserve. That's being drained down. Uh, and there was an economist who was on with um, – Dan Ball, Peter Schiff. Uh, he's got something Euro future. Let me see if I can pull this web website here. Hang on. Um, I just had it uh, in my notes. Uh, Peter Schiff, Peter Schiff, Peter Schiff. Uh, Europacfunds.com. Have you ever heard of this guy? He seemed pretty interesting. I have not. Okay. Uh, hopefully I'll get him on the show someday. But uh, chief economist, he had an interesting way of defining inflation. He calls it printing money and then spending it into circulation. And that makes perfect sense because I'm always looking for, for better definitions uh, to help everybody out 
in the listenership. Does that make sense to you? Can you see that as, as the government borrows money, then they have to print the money to cover their borrowing, and then they spend that money on what they borrowed it for, and that gets the money into circulation, and trillions of dollars have, have gotten in, and that's causing our inflation, which is causing our recession, which is causing them to want to spend more money, uh, you know, which, which creates unemployment, which causes them to want to bail out the unemployed, which causes them to spend more money, which causes them to borrow, which causes them to spend, which causes more inflation. See how it goes? Well, I mean, you 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 kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head, um, you know. Except you got Janet Yellen on, you know, the uh, show with uh, Stephen Colbert, basically saying that inflation was caused by Americans out of control spending. Um, you know, she she failed to mention that the, uh, you know, the the government's appetite for spending may or may not have had, had anything to do with it. And this is also the woman that said inflation was transitory, and um, you know, it's it's uh, it's not here to stay. Um, well, so all things that are wrong. Is she an idiot or is she just a propagandist? I mean, does she know what she's saying is wrong and it's intentional? Or do you think she's just a complete idiot and she got, uh, you know, she knows somebody and that's how she got appointed or she's, uh, you know, somebody's cousin or, or she's just a really good liar? <laughs> I mean, I, if, if you had any real economist and you put them on there, um, you know, I mean, you're you're going to hear that the government's appetite for spending is is what caused inflation. Um, yeah. The government poor control of monetary policy is what caused inflation. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's those are the two things that are that are going to be your your lingering causes. I mean, could you say that it that it is a a a supply and demand issue as well? Yeah, definitely. When you shut down the supply chains because of mm-hmm. COVID. Um, and then you have supply chain issues, which demand is still there because they can't keep up with it. Of course, inflation is going to be there. You know, so, again, another but thing. Price, that, that's well, I think uh, that's like a price rise as opposed to actual inflation. Inflate, if we think of inflation as the money supply and we limit our definition of inflation to just the money supply, prices can rise independent of inflation. If you cut the supply chain, if you cut the supply. Now price, things are going to get more expensive simply because there are fewer of them. But that's not inflation-related. That's the supply. So are we confusing people sometimes when we don't make the distinction? If we always assume that price rises are inflation, which they aren't, I think maybe we should make that, that separation clearer. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, I agree to disagree a little bit because okay. I, so I think they all, they all work in unison, right? I mean, you have you have the government that took control that just immediately come out and says, hey, we have this three trillion dollar spending plan. They got it beat down to to one point two, you know, conveniently, as soon as it's kind of pushed through, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the prices were on the rise a little bit. The prices really began on the rise after that, you Mm -hmm. know, so, uh, you know, I mean, if you could go back and almost time it, then at the end of the year, I mean, they or, or during the year, they kept pushing you know, COVID relief funds, they kept pushing extended unemployment, you know what I mean? Like when you keep handing out free money that you haven't wrote the checks to, to, to pay mm-hmm. interest on yet, um, right. you know what I mean? That's, that's inflation, you know what I mean? But uh, ideally when, when, the, when the supply chains are shut down um, and, and you've got a backlog of demand of products, I, th- I think there's a, there's a statistic that I've seen. I don't know where it is. I'd have to go get it that says mm-hmm. if we stop – Everything completely in the U.S. The U.S. has about a three month um, three month supply. You know what I mean of of, of goods, right? If, right? if 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 that was to be shut off, the U.S. would have about three months to perpetuate, is what that means, right? So when you shut it, shut the supply chain down for you know whatever whatever they did it a month, two months, you know what I mean there was still 
um, essential things running in the background, right? And, you know, then they got to pick up, you know, when, when you had all the harbors out there and they didn't want to let the ships in, you know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> my goodness, you know, it's like, what did we really do? You know what I mean? Like, what did we accomplish? I hope that we really go back and look at this and say that that was one of the poorest decisions that was ever made. You know, oh, but it was gentle. Uh, I, See, I, I don't think these people do things in a vacuum of, of, of idiocy. I think it's by design. I think it was, I mean, COVID, COVID was the vehicle for control. You know, I, I wrote something, what did I, I put on Facebook the other day? COVID, I did an acronym, uh, Control, Obedience, Vengeance, uh, Ideology, and Dictatorship. <laughs> so I put that down. Wow. That's, that's, that's I mean, my that's, COVID acronym. I like it. Yeah, it's on my Facebook page. Feel free to take a look. Feel free to share, <laughs> as I say. Um, yeah. But that's but COVID. I got you know. You look. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I no. I just uh, just speaking of COVID. This is kind of off topic, but I just mm-hmm. saw another another statistic reading last night or night before that forty four percent of women are uh, that have been vaccinated or having miscarriages. Oh, I'm sure. It's horrendous. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, the the, the, the yeah. uh, myocarditis, the swelling of the heart. The women get miscarriages and and fertility problems. And yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, it's it is so bad. In fact, I had uh, well listen to yesterday's show with Dr. Deborah Viglione, who's local. She's Gulf Breeze. She's one of our, our COVID you know heroes. Uh, she had the medical freedom rallies, which I got to speak at, and and some of the other things, and introduced me to the doctor that made up our world's greatest doctors panel for 18 weeks. Um, those uh, interviews, I've, I put the links together from all those shows: Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Deborah Viglione, uh, Drs. Brian Artis, Jim Thorpe. You know, these are the nationally known people, and we had them for 18 weeks, you know, on the show talking about COVID, and we went through the whole story of it. But it, it's uh, the story of COVID is not COVID itself. COVID itself for most people, is like a bad uh, That's what it really amounted to for most people. Some people got sicker, but that's because they didn't treat the colds. <laughs> you know, they didn't rest. They didn't take the vitamins. They didn't uh, do the normal things we do for colds. Uh, and that made it a lot worse. And the people who really got it bad <clears throat> ended up in the hospital because they didn't take their hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Uh, and if they got a remdesivir and a ventilator, you know, they had like a 90% chance of dying. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the, 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 the record is horrible. So the story of COVID is the story of a government policy that perpetuated it through lockdowns and everything else that refused to treat it early to get rid of it so they could lead it into uh, this whole vaccination thing, which wasn't a vaccine. It's a messenger RNA gene altering drug. And uh, what it's doing is causing all these problems. Blood clots. Uh, Irene Cara, you know, the, the singer from Flashdance, she, she died mm-hmm. recently. Uh, she, six months ago, I, one of, Josie, one of my reporters, was talking about how she bragged about getting her, her second or third booster or something like that. Aren't I wonderful? I got my booster. Now she's gone. Our own reporter, Dr. Peter Pry, got the, uh, the COVID jab because uh, he had to do some international travel. Right? Six months later, mm-hmm. his cancer flares up and he's gone. You know, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. You know, so I've yeah. lost personal friends of mine have died because of the, the COVID policy. Not COVID, the policy. So there's oh, a sure. lot of, yeah. yeah. Um, but look at the economy. So if there was no COVID, there was no COVID stimulus spending. There was no $5.3 trillion of, of bailouts, you know, and all the other things, loan forgiveness, well, student loans are different, but uh, people aren't paying rent and mortgages or whatever it was. Those were, uh, you couldn't evict people, you know, all that kind of stuff that the CDC had no power to do. If none of that spending happened, we wouldn't have an inflation problem now, would we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know that we wouldn't have an inflation problem. I mean, you know, I'm sure we might have had a, a, a spike, um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, with the government spending, you know, I mean, writing, writing checks that that part, I believe, might still have happened. But, you know, inflation uh, over time, you know, uh, many times goes from, 
you know, two and a half or two percent or one point four up to about four or five, you know, that's the natural ebb and flow of it, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it kind of waves in between there, right? Um, I think we would have saw it go up to maybe maybe five, maybe six percent on the high, um, you know, with some of the government spending, um, you know. But still, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, we can't we can't predict any of that stuff. I mean, we are where we are. You know, the the way ahead is is you know the government getting control of monetary policy. Um, mm-hmm. The way ahead is also you know the government kind of trying to trim off some of the spending. Um, you know, I mean, if that doesn't necessarily happen with the rates where they are, uh, Uncle Sam has problem paying his bills. Um, you know, so it's a it's a problem that they can't let persist long um, or, or, you know, the U.S. is going to have a credit rating downgrade again. And that's <laughs> I can't even tell you what that's probably going to do to the market. <clears throat> well, no, I do want to know. So so feel free to take a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, do the research and let me know what you think is going to happen with that, because that is that is critical well, for people to I know. I'll give you an idea. I mean, back in 2014, uh, the U.S. credit rating went from a triple A to a double A, and it was a 22% correction in the market um, over about a about a mm, four week, five week period. You know, Explain I think maybe it was too fun. A 22% correction because that doesn't sound that sounds kind of innocuous. Oh, they corrected. Okay, what does that actually mean in terms of the market? So it, it means you know, I mean, where, wherever the market was at that port, part port in time, I'd have to go look at exactly like where the S and P 500 was. And the S&P 500 is kind of the benchmark we use consistently now rather than the Dow, right? Um, oh, okay. You know, so um, – um, and I'll tell you the difference again between that briefly. Um, you know, the Dow is only 30 of your, of your you know, mega companies. Uh, mm-hmm. your, your Chevron, JP uh, – not JP Morgan, um, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Procter & Gamble, all your big, big, big companies. The S&P 500 mm-hmm. is those 30 companies plus 470 more. Yeah, uh, so it better, gives you a, a better index. It gives you a yeah. – yeah, right. It's a better thermometer of what really is going on in the market, right? Well, back in 2014, I want to say it was mid-year. Um, you know, don't quote me on the date, but I think it was around June. Might have been around May. Um, mm-hmm. They announced that the um, the credit rating agencies, Moody's and uh, Standard and Poor's, and uh, there's there's about three or four of them, said that the U.S. credit rating went from a triple A to a double A. And what that basically means is is the USA always pays its bills. It's just they pay them a little late sometimes. Right. Um, And that's not good because that takes that basically means, hey, Uncle Sam, which has the best bonds in the world um, or one of the top five, no questions about it, um, can't pay their bills on time. You know what I mean? So uh, the market, whatever capitalization it was at at that point in time, the S&P 500, call it uh, over two months, maybe three months, went from, you know, wherever it was to 22 percent lower um, than it was. That's why I wanted to get out there. you know, obviously, when, when markets pull back, people people almost get scared. a quarter, yeah, almost yeah. a quarter of its yeah. value, people, yeah, that's huge. People think the uh, the end is here, the market's going to zero. Let me take all my money out. So, you know, typically after about after about fifteen percent, you get you start getting the panic sellers. Um, okay. You know, it's just uh, you know people people that start making poor decisions, getting things out. You know, I mean, they think they're they think they're doing help by them. Um, you know, they end up sitting out for for six eight months. You know, until the market turns around, and then they put their money back in more than it was before. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. statistically, it's a way to lose money in the long run. Um, you know, but uh, um, some people that's their strategy because they they panic. They they think oh eight oh nine again. Um, and it's and then and they they see it never recovering, you know. So uh, obviously a correction when it happens. That's exactly what we're having right now. 
the Dow uh, is out of bear territory, which means that it's crossed back. It's gained back enough to go above 20% being low. So the Dow at its worst was down like 20, 23%. The S&P 500 was down like 27 and the NASDAQ was down 33 at the worst. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, all these things are happening, and people are so like, you know, they, they don't seem really conscious of it because it, it's not being reported. You know, people, are, you know, yeah, especially so if you believe the propaganda, the, the jailings. Yeah, go ahead. So the market, the market, I'm, I'm, I'm almost guessing wants a recession. Um, and I know oh. that this sounds terrible, but I'll, I'll, I'll build you a, Lucy? I'll build you a, a picture for it. So <laughs> yeah, so so Chair, Chairman Powell can, comes out, and there's there's things that the market wants to hear right now. Right. The market wants to hear, um, you know, lower rate hikes. Right. Because that means they can they can guess where monetary policy is going to go. Right. You have to understand the economy is backwards looking. The markets are forward looking. Right. You know, so if they can plan, they can plan forward. Right. So uh, the next thing is, is uh, we've already met the criteria to enter recession. Right. The two negative quarters of GDP. um, The last quarter that we had was actually positive, but it was mute. Right. Um, and you, then um, they, they want what? they want unemployment to rise, right? They want okay. unemployment to rise so they can go ahead and snatch the Band-Aid off and say we're in recession. Well, the, the employment report came out this morning, the jobs report, um, unemployment rate holds, payrolls rise by 263,000. Well, so that happens and the market's down, right? So the market is down off a good jobs report. Yeah, that's weird. So what does that tell you? Yeah, well, well what does that tell you? That yeah. tells you the, the, the market wants to hear unemployment is high, you know, so they, they know that it's that it's it, it's pretty close to a floor. You know what I mean? That that they know I mean, I think we're pretty close to a floor. That's that's an opinion. That's not a that's not a guarantee. That's just uh-huh. where I think we are. Um I think when when they announce recession, you know, you're going to get your immediate knee jerk reaction out of the market, and then it's going to then it's going to bottom out, and the and the recovery will begin. Um, you know, so that's my opinion. I also agree that that I think they should snatch the band aid off and say, hey, we're we're in recession. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's time to start moving forward because typically the time they announce the recession, the recovery has began. Yeah, I was explaining to people that uh, I post this on, on, on Facebook too that when you hear that recession uh, is two negative quarters, um, in other words, the coming tracks over two quarters, uh, and that the recession doesn't begin after two contractions. It's, it began with the first contraction, <laughs> the first quarter of contraction, and and people don't think about it. They think, oh, we're going to go now. Now I've been in one for six months. Uh, and I think that right, people right. misunderstand yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. There's something I was thinking well, about. Um, I, I try to ahead. tell everybody it's a lagging indicator. I mean, you have to yep. understand all the data that they bring in, the Fed brings in, everything that ADP brings in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that goes into that goes into um, you know us making these economic decisions are mm-hmm. lagging indicators. I mean, some of them even nine months behind. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, you're talking about nine months of data. They're coming in and saying, hey, this is where we're at. No, that's where we were nine months ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, yeah, we're that, in that's a different place than we are. You know, if you understand that, uh, you know, it's like weather. The economic forecasting is like weather forecasting. Uh, any, any pilot knows that, you, you know, a forecast is a guess at best, maybe, and things are subject to change. The only thing you know for sure is what actually happened is the report. So this is why I like economic reports as opposed to economic forecasting, because you can only guess 
uh, and you can't really, you know, it's hard to base stuff on that. Uh, but the forecast, if you know what's already happened, it's like, yeah, we've been in a recession. Well, we already knew that just by the way things are going. Um, why is unemployment uh, desirable? Do they think that's going to reduce because people don't have money? Uh, because it seems to me it's going to lead to more government spending on unemployment compensation. No, I mean, it, it means it, I think that, that once the recoveries began, all the companies can begin hiring again, right? You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to worry. Oh, okay. Their stock prices are going to start to rise. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, it's only, it's only a short period of time before the companies are like, okay, we're hurting again. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We can't – we just had too many people. We were busting at the seams, so we got to slowly begin hiring these people back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll go through a slump, but what that also does is have opportunities for other jobs that aren't being filled. Right. You know, so you see a shift in the workforce from one place to another. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know one of your questions was, uh, um, you know, how much of our U.S. economy is agriculture? Um, yeah. So I looked at it last night and 18 um, percent of our economy is agriculture. And then 28 percent of the workforce is agriculture related. That's pretty big. Uh, it is. A, yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, huge. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and agriculture was defined as anything that is, um, um, you know, farming, um, food products, um, anything that goes into food products like additives, spices, things like that. Um, um, anything herbal based, uh, which, which can go into shampoos, can go into, you know, uh, other products, uh, meat products, anything that feeds meat products, you know, like meat product feed and stuff like that. Um, you know, the list was pretty extensive, but that was the bulk of things. Because we've got food problems. We've got supply problems. We've got, uh, I was listening to a report, the family farms, they're, they're making it so expensive for family farms. They're, they're losing their farms and China's buying them up. You know, so we're losing farmland. We're losing our supply. The food processing plants were being, you know, blown up either by accident or on purpose. You know, there's, there's all these things that are going on with agriculture. And this is a huge part of the economy. And I don't think people realize, you know, how much it is, and especially the big places. Florida has a, has a big, at least had a bigger uh, agricultural uh, uh, industry. Uh, California is huge for agriculture. They're by themselves. They're one of the largest, you know, exporting countries. Um, what I was thinking of was specifically where the, 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 the climate wackos are going nuts. They, they actually have a, a minister of nitrogen pollution. You know, in, in Holland, <laughs> they have someone that's responsible for that. And they say, well, you can't have your farms. You're, you're, you're polluting the, the environment with nitrogen, uh, despite the fact that the air is 72% nitrogen. So it's, it's hard to pollute something that's already, you know, mostly composed of the same element. That just, so anyway, they're being insane. But they're cutting back, and they're, they're taking their agriculture, and they're killing it. They're killing their farms. Right. And I'm just hoping I'm right. just hoping to do that here. But has anybody, is that a, having an impact on the market or, or, or things? Daniel's Midland, my favorite company to demonize because of their stupid ethanol guarantees. You know, what's, are they going to get uh, more price reports? Are they going to get bailed out? Uh, you know, what's, what's happening in agriculture? We've never really talked about it. I didn't look into that. That's something I'd have to, I'd have to look okay. at and come back to you. Um, you know, I mean, I, I haven't heard of any struggles, um, okay. you know, of, of any issues. I did hear that there were supposed to be some um, some big farm subsidies coming from the government, but what they did was backtrack them and make them more um, ethnically diverse. Like if you weren't if you weren't ethnically diverse, you didn't get it. Um, you know, so um, uh, that's the only thing that I've really heard. Yeah. 
And I forgot exactly what I asked you about agriculture. <laughs> some guy, I'm kind of thinking to myself, what did you say? I do that. So I get so scattered with all these different things I talk about. Like, you asked me, ask? um, you asked me based on the report that came from, um, I think it was the Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you had said that, uh, uh, you know, what, what percentage of the U S economy was agriculture. Um, and, uh, um, you know, you use that as a topic. Yeah. Well, we're the world's biggest exporter of food and Netherlands is second, which is kind of interesting. So for them, it's going to be devastating, you know, I mean, because they're a lot smaller country, yeah. um, you know, and if so much of their, their product is, is, you know, what do you, what do you get from Holland? Cheese, <laughs> you know, tulips, what else? I mean, there's a lot of food that comes out of Holland, which is kind of interesting. It's, it's low land, it's fertile, you know, but if they're doing, if they're stupid enough to do that, do we have climate wackos in this country that are trying to do the, the same thing to our agriculture? You know, I mean, we heard about the, the, the cow, you know, gas problem, shall we say, uh, which is all this made up stuff that uh, we have to, you know, is this great reset stuff? Is, is, uh, people don't like farms. They don't, you know, what's going on with our agriculture? Is there anything on the market that you know? You may not know the answer. This might take some research. But just, I, I don't. I, you know, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything. Um, uh-huh. you know, I mean, if you look up, uh, you know, you'd have to look up like food companies and stuff like that and track what they were doing, like Hormel, um, you know, Hormel, um, uh, what is the uh, – Oh my gosh! The, the, the snack when it starts with an M. Um, oh well. <laughs> no, they they. Um, I I I can't remember it off the top How of my head. Spam? It starts with an M. Who makes spam? What's that? I like spam. Don't I like spam? Do you like spam? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, spam. I believe it's. Spam. Believe it's is it Hormel? <laughs> um, <laughs> I bet yeah. they do. I, you know, I just. I yeah. Old yeah. Tyson Foods, you know, what I mean, they they would be they would be one Cisco, um, um, uh, Mondelez. That's the name of it. Golly, I, I could not get it out. Yeah, Mondelez. They produce um, God, like all your snack cakes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I, I guess Hostess has gone by the wayside. We don't have Ho Hos and Wingdings and, and Twinkies anymore. I, I think they own it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, I never like those I, anyway. I can't, <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you can't even consider that food. Um, but I, I was curious the uh, the impact of this because you know this is going to affect the economy too. Uh, that if the farmers are being put out and in, in California they cut their water. You know, Devin Nunez is big on that because he's a farmer in Fresno. His family's been in agriculture, mm-hmm. so he knows. He, he wasn't just he didn't start off as the intelligence committee head. Um, but it's just I, I'm curious. You know, all these things tie together. Now, another thing I was thinking of. Um, this this whole this whole demand thing. In other words, they're trying to uh, the accelerator and break theory. In other words, the accelerator of the economy of inflation is government spending, government printing, you know, increasing the money supply. The the break on the economy is rising interest rates, unemployment, and things like that. Has anybody any of these these big market gurus ever sort of pointed this out? What we're pointing out now that we've got a contradictory policy here. And, you know, what happens when you stand on the accelerator and the brake, you know, your car spin, your, your wheels spin, but you don't go anywhere and you create a lot of smoke. That mm-hmm. seems to be what's happening in the economy. Is anybody pointing, any of the, the really smart people out there, you know, pointing this out? Um, I, I have seen stuff, but what you're starting to see now is the, is the scare stuff. You know what I mean? Like, okay. um, you know, when you, when you have a, uh, when you have stagflation or a, a stagnant economy, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, everybody makes all these wild predictions. Um, but you know, I mean, to, to be honest, oh, hold on. Let me let me say everybody makes wild predictions about the market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there's a saying that we have that says, you know, economists predict nine out of every five corrections. 
right? You know what I mean? So they're, <laughs> it's, it's, they're, they're not good at their job, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so now what you're starting to see is the flood of stuff in the market that says, oh, if, 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 if it doesn't turn around, we're going to see another correction in the market, which is going to be the worst ever, right? So, right? so what does that do? It really perpetuates fear of something that we have no idea that's going to happen, none whatsoever, yeah. right? Um, you know, in, in, in order for that to happen, there's a lot of things. And we can look at charts and we can look at all this other stuff and, and – you know, I mean, like you can say that the charts are right, you know, seven or eight times out of 10. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you know, they're they're right. But there are those different chances, you know what I mean? And things go the opposite direction. So um, I, I think there's another statistic that says we spend more time preparing our investments for bad days than investing through the bad days. Hmm. You know, um, you know, so, and, and that's basically saying, hey, we're we, we're we're panicking over nothing. Right. Um, and, you know, the markets right now are are I think when the markets are down over 20 percent or 20 percent where they're at, you know, mm-hmm. you're at a level that normally is not seen every except every three to five years. Right now, unfortunately, because of covid, we've seen it twice. Actually, in four years, we've seen it. We've seen it three times. You know, so it's it's. It's been a very rough time. That's not to say that we can't have more, but statistically, when you go back in time and you look at the rough times that we've had like this, normally mm-hmm. there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I mean? There's, 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 well, there's a turnaround there. You know, and here's the thing. With we've that, got resources. We've got people. We've got a strong economy. The biggest problem I see is the government keeps getting in the way of it. If they just shut the hell up and go away, most of our problems right. will be solved. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, yeah. not only that, I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, look, I'm all for green energy. Um, you know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. it's a great idea. I don't personally believe that batteries are the answer because they're just as toxic and we have a, a disposal problem. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're a, they're a decent alternative solution. I mean, I'm not throwing them under the bus, um, you know, but but I don't think we were in a position to go full retard on green. Um, you know, I mean, we're we're still too reliant upon oil. Um, I think that was a bad move by the administration. I think that there's no nothing wrong with saying, hey, we can get a little bit more stringent, but you do it a little bit at a time. But going full bull right off the gate, I think, you know, forgive the pun, but it was pouring gasoline on the fire. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it just it was it was not a good idea. Um, and now, you know, I mean, you're 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 trying to backpedal upstream with you know the Saudis, who are the biggest part of OPEC because they have the sweetest oil. Um, and oh, I thought we you did. Know, they, I, I reported earlier that we did, but they have the best oil. I thought they had um, the, the outside of the U.S. I think the U.S. the U.S. also has something very similar. Um, okay. You know, but but theirs theirs is is you know the the, the best to refine. You know, apparently. Um, and, huh. you know, I mean, you've, you've got the Saudis, which uh, apparently don't like the current government. They don't like oh, them at all. We've reported and, that. They hate Brandon. Brandon's yeah, terrible. Yeah. I mean, you know. it's, it's, it's painfully no obvious. For Brandon. You know I mean? yeah. yeah. So, so um, you know, I mean, you, you, we're going to have problems with oil until that's either solved. You know, I mean, I was I was, uh, you know, hoping that with this uh, with this last election that, um, you know, so things might happen in Congress. Um, you know, we got a got a flip flop going on. Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to help or you know make things worse. Um, the the market does not like a split government. <laughs> the market likes oh, a government statistically. Um, you know, that's that's that favors one side um, because things get pushed through, right? You know, I mean, you don't have a government that fights back and forth. Um, and what are we going to have for the next four years? We're going to have a government that fights back and forth. 
Um, well, you know, so let me um, let me offer a prediction because I always believe that the gelding Republicans, the gelding old party, will find any way they can to surrender and be losers because that's what they do. And then they fundraise and say, "We'll get them next time." That's the cycle. That's the cycle of insanity. And so the the GOP in the House is only slightly ahead. And so I think it wouldn't be. Uh, I'll bet you there's arm twisting and deal making and all kinds of stuff going on to convince three or four Republicans to vote with Democrats little squishy Republican rhinos. And I'm sure that the rhinos are doing this themselves. They're going to find three or four or five, yeah. whatever it takes to, to make a Democrat majority out of some gelding Republicans. And, and you're going to see that they're going to say, oh, well, we can't, uh, we can't do anything now. We've lost the majority. We have Republicans voting with the Democrats. When it's purely a Democrat Republican yeah. plan to do that. Don't be surprised. Oh. I'm surprised. Well, I mean, it's, one the, it's, the, it's the same thing for the Senate. You know what I mean? While, mm-hmm. while, while the, uh, you know, the Dems do control the Senate, I mean, you know, there's typically, you know, one or two that, that you know, are, are, are going to be drifters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, and that's, that's normal. I mean, it's like that's the way our government runs, um, you know. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see a, a little bit of a looser policy on oil allowing us to increase production. That would bring the cost of transportation down. That would bring the cost of diesel down. Um, you know, if they could bring the cost of diesel down, insane. I think that would solve – that would solve at least 20 to 30 percent of our problems. Yeah. Well, just before you yeah. go, um, just I want to talk oil again, but uh, will we Senate what this really is a Republican Senate because there's only 48 Democrat senators. That's not a majority. And we can talk about that in a little bit uh, or next time. But oil, I heard there was an oil cut. Did the Saudis cut back on production? Have you yeah. heard that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, How they much? said that, that, that uh, I think it was 2 million barrels a day. Don't quote well, that was what that, they heard before. I mean, Has that changed, or is that still the, what their their goal? I believe that's what the goal was. I haven't seen a change, so I'm not sure completely. But I I do believe that they have moved forward with it. And I mean, I mentioned it in the report this morning. Right. Okay. That's why that's why we wrote it down here. So if they're going to be cutting oil and our strategic slow down, Greg, our strategic patrol. It's hard to. Strategic Petroleum Reserve is being drawn down to the point where it's almost negligible, so they're not going to be able to put that on the world market. You're going to see uh, a huge cut in the supply of oil worldwide, and that's going to directly affect our prices here, isn't it? Um, possibly. You know what I mean? Possibly. So, um, Tell me. And, yeah, I, I say possibly. If they're cutting it to the world, that doesn't mean they're cutting it to us. Um, you know what I mean? And, and the Saudi, okay. according to the report, said that they were cutting it uh, because of the lower Asian demand. And that's probably because of the lockdowns in China. Now, I mean, it, you have to understand the way that this works. Every time they make a cut, it's only a short time later that they're like, okay, we'll increase production again because they feel the pockets <laughs> getting thin. Oh, okay. You know, they, maybe they went under a trillion dollars. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't – you know, these people got more money than, than the average man could count. Um, yeah. You know, so um, it, I'm sure it will change. I just – I think it's temporary, you know. Uh, is we do sanctions on company, they uh, countries, uh, they they punish us with oil. Interesting. Yeah, and Brandon's not well liked in Saudi Arabia, that's for sure. Okay, well, let's, let's, uh, we shall carry on. I think, uh, yeah, I think we've come to the conclusion that it's, it's, this is a government-imposed problem. That if they would simply, you know, go back to a Trump economy. Uh, that we wouldn't have any of the problems we have now. They've actually reversed the Trump economy, and that's why we're in this, this mess. It's all a government self-imposed mess. It's not a natural economic cycle. It's not a natural uh, phenomenon that we're suddenly in bad economic times because they actually changed all the conditions to, to force bad economic times. That's the way it looks to me. Right, and I mean I, I, I'll, agree, I, I'll agree with that to an extent. My only, my only thing was 
I agree with Trump's stance on being tough on China. I don't mm-hmm. agree with how aggressive he was with it. Um, you know, I mean, I think there would be a more diplomatic way to do it because actually um, the the market pullback we had in 2018 was caused by the trade war with China, and that was about a 20% pullback, all from, you know, him being the big kid in the schoolyard with a baseball bat. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. what I mean, obviously from, from a person that has to deal with the market, you know what I mean, like that's that's not a way to do business. And I mean, I understand that's his demeanor, but I think he would have been a much better president had he have been a little bit more tame and diplomatic. Oh yeah. I mean, but he ran the country, he ran the government like, like he was CEO of the government and all the government people that hated him objected. <laughs> and then we had all the problems we had. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. they're, they're expecting somebody to come in and be kind and, and, you know, pat people on the back and, and shake hands. And I mean, he's, He's crass. He's arrogant. You know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah, I like that about him. I would ever, I would ever, I would ever deny. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it works in the right setting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you go into these other countries and, and, you know, I mean, you go in with your chest poked out and, you know, you're the big man in the room. Fine. I mean, you're basically saying, Hey, we're, we're not going to take any crap from you. I, I feel that. Right. But when you, when you go into our government settings and people are expecting you to be polite, reserved, you know, um, and and if you're not if you're not doing that, you tend to you tend to make people mad, and I think that's what he did. You know, what I mean, he uh, he was very polarizing. Um, you know, and that that made people upset. In my personal opinion, you know, what I mean, yeah, I, I think I don't think and was I think that's bad the, the rationale. Yeah, I think it's the rationale. But what really happened was he he upset the business as usual. Um, because I've been reading articles oh, sure. on, on how yeah, yeah. Congress doesn't write any bills. It's all done by lobbyists. The lobbyists had their sweetheart deals with Congress, had their sweetheart deals. You know, the regulators did their thing. They had sweetheart deals with companies and special interest groups. And it was all one big swamp. And Trump came in and, and changed the swamp. I think that's what the real problem with Trump was. They say it's because he's crass and stuff. And he was. You know, and that's why that made it, that plausible. But the real reason is that he upset business as usual and all their sweetheart deep state deals. And so that's why I want to back yeah. And so we should see. In fact, yeah, I'm hoping sure. to uh, to to have uh, supplied them directly with our legislation. Uh, we have a couple of bills: one on a 30-day comment period for budget items, and the other, well, of course, our constitutional to uh, stop Congress borrowing money. And the other one is one written by Jonathan Mosley. He's got a, a liquidity thing. I should send that one to you. Uh, a liquidity for how to it's like an SNL thing. It's how to deal with all the bankruptcies that are coming when the COVID stimulus money runs out. So we've got some good ideas, I think, that we can send to the Trump campaign. And that we have Peter Navarro on in October. So maybe, you know, I want to get him back on and, and do some follow-up. So uh, things are happening here. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, well, cool. i gotta, I got to run, Greg. So, okay. uh, again, thanks. And um, we'll see you next week. Good extra time. Sorry. All right. Take care. All right, take care too. So there we go. So um, I guess I forgot to ask for his uh, his contact information. Check the beginning of it also, but he's with Edward Jones in, in Pace, Florida, uh, so you can reach him there. Uh, let me play a couple more things for you here, and we've got a, got the rest of the hour. I actually got the rest of the show. We're, we're kind of open right now, so this would be a good time to uh, call if you want to check in. I've got a couple of articles I think are interesting, and we're getting to uh, the title of the show. Today. Perhaps it's time for a more philosophical evaluation. So I have a couple of articles from a new person called Bear Abel on Substack, and I'm hoping to start writing for Substack myself. I have a bunch of columns that I want to write. You know, a lot of them based on sorry, a lot of them based on what I talk about on the show here, and so that will uh, that will get things going. Let me see if I can find uh, something to get started here, and we'll be back uh, in um, just a little bit here. 
Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. And this is what happens when I don't queue up my stuff fast enough. <laughs> I, was, I was looking and doing other things, got momentarily distracted. So let me get back to what I wanted to play as soon as I can find it. Ah, there it is. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio.
Yeah, sometimes my juggling works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so that was <laughs> a little crazy. Anyway, so I've got a couple of articles here, and I've got actually a third one. I got a Naomi Wolf article, but this is this is written by uh, Bear Able, B A R A B L E, November eighth. And he's got two articles here. And so, again, I'm always looking for new writers. I'm, I look for the, uh, the things. I don't, you'll notice I don't report a lot of uh, news um, in terms of reporting the news because everybody else does that. There's plenty of news stations. There's plenty of news websites. There's plenty of news writers. There's plenty of news magazines. There's plenty of news. Okay, so we're, we're, we're thrown out with news. But it's the interpretation of the news. It's what the news means. And then, of course, being action radio, the question is what do we do about it? And so that's very much interesting for me. So I'm looking for creative writers, thoughtful writers, uh, philosophical writers, things like that. So I came across this one here, and this is no more time to fight against. Uh, and then it goes dot, dot, dot. And this is preparing for the pandemic world. And so I just uh, want to get you thinking a little bit. And that's, that's what we try to do, what I try to do here uh, as much as possible is, is get you thinking uh, about uh, stuff. And like I say, right or wrong, you can agree or disagree. That's okay. Uh, it's better to have, I think, take a point of view that you will disagree with not to take a point of view at all so you don't know where we stand. And so that just makes more sense to me. So the article has a big picture of Sisyphus pushing his boulder up the hill. That is the Greek myth where Sisyphus, uh, I don't know what he did to to deserve wrath or wrath, but uh, he did some very bad stuff. And uh, you can all check your your legends and get back to me or your mythology. Uh, But every time he pushes the boulder up hill, of course, it rolls down again. So his job was to push it up to the top of the mountain, and he never gets there. Because <laughs> somewhere along the way, the boulder rolls back downhill again. And that's, that's the first uh, to eternity uh, of pushing this boulder up a hill, knowing full well at some point it's going to fall off, and he's going to have to start all over again, accomplishing absolutely nothing. And that's what happens when you're bad. <laughs> so that's the myth. Anyway, so how that ties in, I'll let you through the arrow. Who says Bear Abel, uh, that's B-E-A-R-A-B-L-E, November 8th. And that, so that's just, um, what, a couple weeks ago? Maybe three weeks ago, maybe almost four weeks ago. I lose track of time. It's a, it's a you know, time-dimensional physics thing, relativity, all that stuff. Anyway, so he says, through the course of history, as well as my four-plus decades of life, and especially the last few years, there has seemed to be a lot uh, to fight against, whether it was fighting against government or outrage of the masses or the injustices done to the vulnerable or the manipulation perpetrated by social media platforms, or the fear-mongering of the legacy media, or, 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 dot, 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 the list goes on and on. I would say that there is always something appearing a monster to fend off in our world. Perhaps this is inevitable, and we must always be on guard against these demons. Some of us want to fight off the seemingly selfishness of hyper-individuality as we see the man their way in the face of the greater good. Now I'm going to stop right there because the greater good to me is the compilation of individual choices freely made. And so there's no such thing as the greater good if coerced, if designed, if forced, uh, if uh, guilted, in other words, dumb guilt or anything, or by, you know, experts, statistical information, things like that. The greater good is everybody expressing their individual choices in a free market. Uh, the, the compilation of those individual choices, that is the greater good. But that's part of the article. On the other hand, some of us want to fight off the seemingly uncaring, coercive tsunami of the government-provoked masses to conform and comply with the herd. So this is what we've been against, what I've been against uh, since COVID you know, first started, um, back when we first heard about it back in February of 2020. So I just want to read that sentence again. It's really critical. On the other hand, some of us want to fight off the seemingly uncaring, 
coercive tsunami of the government masses to conform and comply with the herd. Okay, we just talked about that with Derek a little bit. And what I posted earlier, and, and you can share this everywhere too, is my COVID acronym. It's a new one. COVID acronym is Control, Obedience, Vengeance, Ideology, and Dictatorship. C-O-V-I-D. So you can write that down. You can uh, print it up. You can post it anywhere. Take it from my Facebook page. I think it's a public post. You know, Greg Pengelis. P-E-N-G-L-I-S. So, uh, so that's where it is. COVID, and the acronym is... Um, what does it say? Compliance? I think I said compliance. Yeah, compliance, obedience, no, control. There we go. Control, obedience, vengeance, ideology, and dictatorship. That's what COVID stands for to me. And then he says back to the article, these seem like opposite to bridge gaps. So he's talking about, you know, let me just read that one paragraph. It'll, it'll make more sense when I, when I put it back in context. He says, some of us want to fight off the seemingly selfishness of hyper-individuality as we see people demand their way in the on the other hand, some of us want to fight off the seemingly uncaring coercive tsunami of the government-provoked masses to conform and comply with the herd. I'm in the second group. There seems, they seem like opposites unable to bridge their gaps. He says, perhaps the issue stems from a focus on the fight oneself against something else. As long as we have our vision squared on the enemy and our struggle with this figure or force or ideal, we are in conflict. Our energy is used for resistance. Yeah, I'm sure big on that. He says, we are pushing a boulder up a hill constantly. We are like Sisyphus, and perhaps we are in, in a hell of our own making. Would it not be better to fight for something rather than against it? That's why I created some radio, as you all know. Uh, he says, would it not be better to work for something or to build towards something or create with the vision of something? Well, yeah, that's created action radio. He says, what our energies, now I'm not doing this to promote me. Okay. I want to make that clear. I just, this is coincidence. And as I'm reading this and I've read it before, I'm thinking, you know what, and you know what, that's, uh, that's what we did. Well, actually, I left a comment at the bottom of the article. I'll see if, uh, uh, if anything that has been responded to, we'll find out in a minute. He says, what our energies tied up in the pursuit of that, which we prize and hold dear, not be more sustainable and life enhancing than if we forced it against that which frustrates us, or worse, that would move. He says, for example, we can walk, we can be working towards freedom instead of against restrictions. We could be working towards cooperation instead of against conformity. This might even look the same from an external viewpoint, but I think the energy and sensation of this work likely feels significantly different. It would more probably nourish and motivate than deplete and exhaust. Can we live a good life, a happy life, a fulfilling and healthy life if our gaze is constantly on that which we don't want? Yeah, the, the old saying, you know, you, the, the energy you bring to something creates it. Your worst fear is probably going to happen because you give it energy. Uh, it's an interesting thought. He says, this is easier said than done, especially when injustice and evil are pervasive in the world we live. However, there must be at least as much likely as much likely more beauty and love as there are ugliness and hatred on the planet. I agree. He says, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen, but no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. Actually, that was said by Edith Egger, E-G-E-R, or Eger, the, uh, in something called The Choice, you know, embrace, embrace the Possible. Let me read that quote again. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen, but no one 
can take away from you what you put in your own mind. That's very true. That's why we have an Action Radio Mind Project to discuss these very things. That's sort of philosophical and, and, and brain working, you know, like kind of mind stuff. That's where we do it. Um, he says, can it be as simple as a reframing? Can this bridge, can this bridge the gap between fighters? Is there not more con- commonality in what we desire than resist? It's an interesting question. Um, so I put my comment in. Oh, does anybody uh, leave a comment? Mm, let's see if anybody responded to my comment. You know what I wrote, right? <laughs> it's pretty easy. I, I said my comment was, this is exactly why I created the Action Radio Citizen Legislature, so we the people could write and advocate the laws we consent to be governed by. There is positive action. We do it every day. But it's obscured by the much larger cloud of media shows and experts can complain to an art form. If you want to learn more about solutions and how to write and advocate citizen bills, please come on or call the show. So I'm hoping Bear Abel will read that and go, huh, Pangloss, what an interesting guy. I want and that's what we're hoping for. So we shall see. <laughs> anyway, next article uh, is uh, Thankful for the Darkness. Same person, Bear Abel, November 24th, about three weeks later. He says, should we bother finding gratitude in the face of tyranny? So I told you I was going to get you thinking. He says, I've been writing a lengthy article about the recent G20 declaration that just came out last week after the meeting in Bali, but I decided to shelve it for next week. So we're going to get that next week. He says, considering this weekend is American Thanksgiving, so this was November 24th, he wrote this on Thanksgiving. Considering this weekend is American Thanksgiving, whatever that means to you, I thought it more opportune to talk about giving thanks and gratitude. I don't want to sing Kumbaya and pretend everything is love and light in the face of the considerable darkness and suffering that is going on in the world. I want to acknowledge that darkness. I want to, I want to acknowledge that darkness but I think it's important to still be grateful as much as possible and as often as possible for what we have. In fact, darkness is that contrast that makes the light so much brighter. And light always casts a shadow when it, shine, uh, when it shines on us. Makes a little misprint there. He says, with that in mind, I will admit that over the last 2.5, almost three years now, I have struggled with gratitude at times. Anger, frustration, and even sorrow. Perhaps these emotions mask my fear, although I don't feel that fear has really been present for me. At most, I have felt concerned. Concern about the future. Concern for children. Concern for the world that is unfolding before eyes. Okay, so now that I haven't gotten that out of the way, let's get into some things to be thankful for. Ah, and someone's trying to call me. You hear that little buzzing in the background? Yeah, that's okay. Well, I'll get it after the show. <laughs> he says, why am I even writing this? Well, first, I'm grateful for the fact that through these dark times, I have met and, and interacted with some amazing people. I'm grateful for the com- community that has sprung up from all over the world, coalescing on a vision of something better that will be shoved in our faces and down our throats, or to be more accurate, plunged into our arms. I am grateful that there are others who resonate with me that I can resonate with. I am grateful that I'm not alone in this resistance. But on the contrary, have like-minded people growing in number every day. I want to stop that just for a second. Um, that's another thing that I have found fascinating. Uh, Dr. Deborah Viglione on yesterday, Dr. Judy Mikevitz calling in. Uh, people from uh, all over the country, all over the place, you know, the, the, the activists that have come together, the conventions, the, uh, the, the new media shows, uh, you know, all the great reports and things like that. All the, there's an amazing thing happening. You know, where there, where, when the government wants darkness, we create the light. 
you know, where, where there is tyranny, we can create freedom. In fact, sometimes the greatest opportunities of creating freedom occur in the worst of times in tyranny. Why? Because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's the inspiration. It's, uh, you know, uh, Charles Dickens said the best of times, worst of times, you know, a tale of two cities, London and France. Uh, and that's what we have now. It's the, it's, the, it's the best of times and the worst of times. It's the worst of times by government policy, by people that want to control, that people that think that they're smarter than the rest of us, that people that think they're experts, the, the technocracy, uh, as Patrick Woodward, the, the Great Reset, the Charles, the, not Charles Schwab, sorry, sorry, Charles Schwab, Klaus, Klaus Schwab's justice, the German who speaks with a very strong accent, who says we're going to have the Great Reset, yeah, and we're going to enjoy drugs. So there's my best Klaus Schwab. But the fact is that these people are so arrogant, they think that they're actually right. And they're not. Another, again, the greater good is the sum total of individual you know, decisions and choices freely made. That is the greater good. That's my definition. You don't, you don't find that it's mine. But that is the greater good. And so if you really want the greater good, you leave people alone to make those individual decisions and choices. And that will create, we will create together the greater good. So the greater good is not imposed. Then it's not so the difference between I'm getting philosophical myself now, but the difference between the greater good and the greater tyranny is whether it's imposed. If it's imposed, it's a tyranny. If it's if it's created individually, then it's a good. Okay, so that's the difference between good and tyranny. You know, who's creating it? If government imposes it, it's tyranny. If people actually, it's good. So there you go. There's your definition. So the greater good is the greater amount of individual decisions freely made, creating a cumulative total, as opposed to the greater evil which is the greater amount of control over every aspect of our lives. But I'm still grateful. I'm grateful for all the people that I meet and the, and the people that have come to Action Radio, uh, the many reporters I've had, the, the many folks that have come through here, you know, the superstar big public figures and just us regular folks here that uh, create this show. Because this is, this is, is going to be the point of change. Um, I, I absolutely believe that, that what we do here uh, is going to resonate worldwide. In some ways, it already is. You know, wrote an Australian Bill of Rights. Um, that had never been done. That's still floating around down there. Okay, so I heard a lot lately, but you know, you know, it's, it's like if you ever watched the movie V for Vendetta. You know, you can kill a person, but you can't kill an idea. You know, if if uh, if the deep state, you know, if all of a sudden I'm not here sometime, and and you get this, you know, big fake news story. You know, Penglis depressed over creating action radio. You know, the, you know, you know what they're gonna say, right? Okay, uh, and I'm not here anymore. Well, that doesn't mean my ideas are going to die because you've already got them. You've got the podcasts, unless they wipe those out. But the idea, the idea that we consent to be governed by, that's not going to go away. It's already out there. So I'm already a, a, a rousing success. I've already changed the dynamic. You know, I've changed the information. I've changed the, 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 the capacity for what people believe is possible. Now, I haven't reached the millions that I want to reach, and I'm going to do that. But, in, but the idea is there. It's been created. It's formulated. Uh, it's real. And it's out there. And everybody who listens to the show, you know, you need to tell everybody else you know and have them tell everybody else they know. You know, that the, the peaceful revolution is here. And it's a revolution of thought. It's a revolution of ideas. It's a revolution in your mind. It's a revolution that the idea that you can create something that, that no people have ever even thought to create before, which is the laws that you consent to be governed by. And you send them to governments to hear. This is how we, we consent to be governed. And they say yay or nay. Okay, well, we've got an election coming up. So we'll say yay or nay to you based on your compliance with the laws that we consent to be governed by. And that's how this is going to work. This is a fundamental change and a reverse. But you have to take that power. 
So if you want that power, if you want to, if you want to be in a position where you can contribute to writing the laws that we consent to be governed by, there's no guarantees, right? Because it still has to go through legislature and the, the constitutional system. But if you don't start, you're never gonna, we're never gonna get anywhere until people start starting, sharing the links with government and media, sharing the bills, the um, sharing with your friends and family and things like that. So that's where we are. So, so you have to ask yourself a philosophical question, you know, of, of what, is the, what is the right thing in this particular instance? You know, be grateful for the, the, the resistance that started, but you can still condemn the government that made the resistance necessary. And that's where we are. And so this is something to think about. Uh, this is why I wanted to do this little philosophical chat. Anybody wants to join me again, 215-383-3832. Just make sure my microphone's on. <laughs> I do that periodically, just make sure I have it up. Because that, that thought crosses my mind a lot when it gets uh, it gets quiet out there. But it's Friday. You know, people have other things to do. Christmas is coming up, so I understand that. All right, let's get back to the article. Let me start back just a bit here. It says, first of all, I am grateful for the fact that through these dark times, I have met and interacted with some amazing people. I am grateful for the community that has sprung up from all over the world, coalescing on a vision of something better than what was being shoved in our faces and down our throats, or to be more accurate, plunged into our arms. Grateful that there are others who resonate with me and that I can resonate with. I am grateful that I am not alone in this resistance, but on the contrary, have like-minded people growing in number each and every day. In fact, I would say that this means I am grateful for even the darkness before me, the World Economic Forum, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Anthony Fauci, Albert Bourla. Not sure who that is. Oh, he's Pfizer, right? Pfizer. No, maybe he's not. Uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and all those other forces. And of course, the director of Darth Vader with uh, AOC and somebody else. It's kind of funny. He says, even Justin Trudeau. He says, did I just write that? Someone pinch me. Maybe I a toxicology test. Am I high? Has, this, has the nanotech invaded my mind? No, I mean it, but in a peculiar way. He says, these agents have been a catalyst in bringing together people with big hearts, deep souls, and independent, free critically thinking minds. And when we can be grateful for even that, I believe we're more free than ever before. Here's another quote. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Bob Marley. I like Bob Marley. One of my favorites. You guys don't listen to Bob Marley, you should. Bob Marley was cool. Uh, Anyway, but again, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. So it's really up to you. So in other words, the government can imprison your body, but they can't imprison your mind. The government can coerce you, uh, make you confess, you know, have you sign all kinds of things. They can take everything you have, but they can't take your thoughts. See, so government, and they're going to try to do That's what a lot of the great resets about. Nanotechnology, artificial tools, the last frontier of government slavery is to make slaves of your thoughts. That's what 1984 was all about. That's what Brave New World's all about. All these things are all about the government going to the last bastion of independence, your own mind. And so it's up to you to retain control of your own mind, even in the face of, uh, of, of physical slavery. Uh, do you become mentally? See, that's the question. You know, I mean, you look at the slavery in our own country here. I mean, how many people were physically slaved? I mean, you know, uh, folks that did the work, but mentally they were free. And that mental freedom became a physical reality. It took a while. It took too long. But you can, you know, how many prisoners are, are creative writers? You know, well, let's, let me rephrase that. How many innocent prisoners are creative writers and aspiring lawyers and doing amazing things until they free themselves? So in their mind, they're already free. They've always been free. 
because they didn't do it. I mean, they really didn't do it, whatever it was. Um, so, so that, so that's a, so this is everybody has to do. So I want you to free yourself of the idea that you can't be a legislator, that you're just one person, that one person can't change things because collectively as one person, I'm just one person. I say this all the time on the show. I'm just one person. And now, now we have action radio. Now I have multiple reporters, an international radio show, a whole series of bills, an independent bill writing website, a blog talk site with a daily, uh, with a weekday show. Uh, and I'm just one person. Okay. I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back. That's not the point. It's like a lot of other persons to make this one person be able to do what, uh, what this one person, namely me, uh, was trying to do. So you, you are one person, but you can't do it alone. You know, I've got, uh, God's got my back. Um, you know, people have, uh, have joined my show. I'm all set. <laughs> I'm already successful. And so philosophically, though, I believe that we can, as, as an independent people in this country, create something that would be a gift to the world uh, in terms of changing the attitudes of people where they actually believe that they can write their own laws and start doing it. Okay? So that is the greater good. The greater good in this case is everybody acting individual, individually to create the laws they consent to be governed by. And if that individual action is, hey, do you hear what Pengla said today? Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's an action because now you're sharing. All right? Or the action could be, gee, Greg, I'd like to sit down and write a bill that um, uh, removes party membership from members of Congress. So if members can belong to a party, that way the, um, the, the committees are decided individually, not by the Speaker of the House. Uh, or, or the Senate uh, majority leader, that all decisions were, you know, everybody had an equal stake in, in the outcome because the parties aren't there. So that'd be a great bill. If somebody wants to write it, I'm game. You know, writeyourlaws.com. Uh, go to legislation and then, and then click on the very first thing, propose a new law, start writing. Let's go, <laughs> you know. So if you really believe in philosophically that you can make a difference, then go ahead and make a difference. You know, turn that, that thought into action. Turn something uh, ephemeral into something practical. You know, this is what makes for change. Change, com- change comes from action. First, you have to have the thought. Then you have to accept that the thought is possible. And then you have to act on it knowing that it's possible. That's how change happens. Anyway, he says, I'm grateful for evolution. God, the universe, or whatever it is that you feel has enabled us to voyage through life in these miraculous bodies with the incredible marvels of our faculties with the capacity to communicate this and to love. I think I kind of said that in a lot more words, but that's pretty much right on. He says, and with that, I am grateful for my immune system that has evolved through billions of years and allowed me to interact with my environment and all its diversity from invaders to synergistic entities, all stimulating a greater resilience. I am grateful for my mind and to be able to think critically in times where it is so important and seemingly rare. <laughs> Not on this show. guy <laughs> He said, I know it's a guy. We're Facebook friends, although we haven't really talked much yet. That's coming. He says, I am grateful for my heart allowing me to still have love and compassion, even in the face of the storm of heavy emotions that can sometimes bring me down. I'm grateful for my physical vessel that carries me through this material place and does so with fortitude and grace. I am in complete awe that I can wake up each and every day and stand, move, breathe, that my heart beats without command, my lungs without thought, and my digestive system processes the food I eat and nourishes every cell in my body. Yeah, I'm grateful for too, actually. <laughs> he says, I am grateful that my self can heal. I'm grateful that it can often do so if I just allow it to. 
I'm grateful for my emotions that make life rich, exciting, challenging, confusing, joyous, and so put that on our art page. This is an amazing picture. Both these articles are in the Action Radio Mind Project, so you can go there and take a look. If you're going to post, you have to join. And I'm, I'm pretty uh, critical of that simply because um, things get open to abuse, people that uh, disagree and want to take me off the air, which, you know, that always happens. But um, still here. Still going on, you know. I mean, you can, you can call me up and disagree with me. You don't have to take the show off the air, <laughs> you know. Although that's uh, it's not a big it's not a big issue. But like I said, there's always the uh, they basically censored me so badly that uh, not enough people are, are hearing um, what we're talking about here in terms of our legislation. Anyway, he says if we can hold on to gratitude, it is hard to feel anger simultaneously. And if we can hold that gratitude, maybe we can move the world from a place of love, compassion. Uh, from a place of love, compassion, and a kind of equanimity. I don't even mean to say from there. Let me read that again. And if we can hold that and move the world from a place of love and a kind of equanimity. That's interesting. Maybe this allows us to navigate these turbulent waters and traverse these precarious to where there's light ahead. Well, that makes more sense. So on this Thanksgiving, this is my giving to you. This is my thanks to you. I hope that the community that I have such gratitude to be a part of and connected to where I feel supported and I'm and I and am motivate to support will find some resonance in my message. I hope that if you uh, guys you got to proof for your articles. <laughs> it's got to be just, I hope that the community that I have oh, I already read that. I hope that if you find resonance in these words it will give you and aid you in transcending the darkness so you may find the light intact and still be yourself. That's interesting. Find the light intact and still be yourself. So let us make every day a little Thanksgiving so it may inoculate us against the potentially corrosive emotions that arise in us and are coaxed forward by those in the world who are disconnected from the heart, who want to dominate and not allow others to walk their own path. Yeah, that's very true. That's the, that's all the controllers, all the world government people, all the, the big corporate heads, political heads, things like that. They want to dominate and not allow others to walk their own path. We here, I mean, we're just the opposite. We want to open the path for everybody to walk through, through laws that, that increase our freedom uh, and control the controllers. We want to control the controllers. We want to control the people that think they have control of us. We want to put them in a tiny little box. That's what the Constitution was designed for. The Constitution was designed to control government. It is designed to control the controllers. That's what it's for. And so if you can control the controllers, you can have some real impact. <clears throat> that's, that's exactly what you know, you want to do. So that's my goal. My goal with our citizen legislation is to control the controllers, put them in a box and allow us to operate outside the box, you know, however we want within a legal framework that uh, we have the minimum law that protect others, safety and property. And that's it, protect life and property. Okay. And it doesn't mean anything done because that's how you protect your, your, yourself. Ah. <sighs> He says, looking up at the night sky, I see the countless lights of the stars. Each one is one of you telling me I am not alone. As you shine, you give me permission to do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's by uh, Bear, oh, actually Bearclaw, I think is the person. But Bear Abel is the name of the, uh, well, now I'm confused. It says Bear Abel wrote the article, and then it has a, a thing to Bearclaw, which I spoke to. Um, I think I want to take a break. I want to do uh, something a little different now. So, again, uh, Mike's not with us. Uh, I'll be back next week, hopefully. 
and we have a bunch of other things. I've got other articles, but, you know, you start reading articles. There's only so many you can do when you get bored with yourself. <laughs> so that's what's happening. I've got, like, a tons of things to talk about here, but I'd rather hear from you. And since I don't have uh, a caller, I don't have yet. Most of you are still listening on podcasts. It's not unusual that I don't have callers. Um, that's, that's actually fairly normal. But what's uh, but because so many folks listen on podcasts, you're not in a position to call in because you're on podcast. So let me take um, this time now and play something that uh, from five years ago. And this was my first day of full-time radio. So it actually turned out pretty well. <clears throat> so I made some mistakes. Uh, I had uh, too many callers and I didn't have my guest on enough. I'm going to reach out my guest of five years ago and hopefully make him a regular reporter on the show. And that would be Matt Feebig. Matt Feebig had a, uh, had a cleaning company. He was the cleaning guy at EBY, you know, when I went there the first day. And we got to talking because, you know, I'm radio. I talk to everybody, right? So I talked to Matt, and uh, he was this really interesting dude. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to have the cleaning guy on the show. <laughs> and he turns out to, to have all this, this – fa- I'll, I'll let him tell it when I play the recording – all this fascinating background. And he has a really interesting idea about Congress not uh, going to Washington, but the members of Congress stay in their districts the whole time. And so I'll let him explain that too. Mistakes I made, um, talking over the, uh, the bumper music, you'll, you'll hear that my voice is muffled and we, we went over the first show and corrected it. This is, my, this is you know, no, no, no safety net. <laughs> you know, literally, uh, I had one day to watch another person and then the day after that, I'm on, <laughs> you know, doing radio with my approximately 10 shows of experience. Um, let me know that. Maybe like, no, I did, some, I did some other radio. I did Berkeley Free Radio. Uh, so we had as part of the Libertarian Hour. So I've been a guest host um, of different places. So, yeah, I guess yeah, I had a bit more experience than that. But uh, this is my first full-time radio job was at WBY. And that was, and we're going to hear from my first day, which is kind of interesting. So let me see if I can find that interview. Matt, Matt, feedback. Oh, here it is. Okay. So, again, talked about the bumper music. Uh, had the callers on too long. I got a little sidetracked with other issues. But at the end of the interview, we cut and bring it back to, to Matt. Um, but because of that, because he was a really interesting guy, I want to have him back on and have him as a reporter um, of the various things that he knows about. Anyway, so it runs about 40 minutes. Then we'll have about half an hour left. I'll probably present a couple more articles to you. So let me start this. And questions, comments, uh, you can take them up after the, uh, after the playing here. But this is Matt Feebig with me on, on the old WEBY 1330 AM, uh, Northwest Florida's News and Talk Leader, back when it was a great independent station. Uh, and this is from March second of 2017, my first full-time day uh, on the radio. Good morning, everybody. This is Greg Pangos here at 1538 MWEBY in and so you can reach us here. This is the time for you to call in. This is Action Radio. This is the new experimental hour. This is where we take radio to places it has, had, places it has never been before. And it's going to take a little while to set that up. But uh, I have guests for you. I have things planned. Uh, we're going to turn the audience into a citizen legislature. So we're going to be working on websites. We're going to be filing our own bills. Amazing things are going to happen. At least I hope so. That's the goal. You want to call in, 850 is the area code, 623-1330. Uh, 850-623-1330, um, or you can reach email, greg at 1330weby.com. Uh, just go to our website, 1330weby.com, and you can also listen in as well. So let me get to my theme for what happened. 
<laughs> How I got my first guest is a story in itself. I was sitting here, I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I had just um, come in trying to sort through all my papers and see what's going on, and the cleaning guy walked in. Well, we got to chatting. And just to show you that anybody can be a guest on this show, if you've got a brilliant idea, if you've got a thought that hasn't been heard, if you've got something different to offer, and I don't care who you are, what you do, it doesn't matter. I'm not into status. It's, uh, it's a whole different thing. So I want to present to you now Matt Phoebe, who is our cleaning guy here at the WBY Studios. Matt, how you doing? Doing great, Greg. Thank you very much. Glad to be here this morning. All right, super. So you run a company called CGF. ProClean, what's the CGS stand for? Clean. So how can you have chemicals that, that uh, you know, use for cleaning stuff and still be economically friendly? How does that work? Well, the principle that we try to follow is to use the, the minimum amount necessary to get the job done, the least abrasive chemical, the least uh, impactful chemical. Uh, if that means a little more elbow grease, so be it. But okay. uh, we want to be mindful because a lot of the, the places that we clean are places where people go. So we want people to be in a comfortable, clean environment, but also one that uh, is a healthy environment for them. Makes sense. i got a question for you, too, on your education, because you study political science and international relations, correct? That is correct. Why? How? how what was the interest to, to do that? Well, it's a very interesting story. I actually started out in engineering, of all things. Okay. No, actually, that makes sense for the cleaning, because you were already engineering there. So it makes, you know, I can see the, the logical progression. So, yeah, but I, I started out in engineering. Uh, I actually come from the Denver, Colorado area. Okay. And I moved out here uh, when I was 19, and I picked up at UWF. I decided engineering wasn't the field for me, and while I was considering what new field might be for me, I had an adjunct professor out at UWF who used to be a uh, lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Marine Corps, and he flew a squadron of uh, fighter jets during Vietnam, and really cool guy and he really became a mentor to me okay and so he pointed me more toward international relations and so well he's combat bad he's in vietnam so that that, you know he would be right in the middle of our international relations absolutely yeah that's right okay so now here's how this came about um matt and i were talking the other day and he made this incredible uh statement that you think congress has really no business being in washington anymore with the technology that exists you think we'd be better served if all our Congress folks actually just stayed in the district full time. This is why you're on the show, because I thought it was brilliant. Um, tell me about that. Tell me how that came about. We've got a couple of callers. I see Raymond and, and Peter hang, kind of hanging there. Raymond, you couldn't wait. You know, Sometimes they're going to be talking to guests, and, and believe me, I will get to you. Uh, if, you if you don't mind hanging on for a little bit, we shall definitely uh, uh, get that. But I really want to sort of set the stage here uh, with Matt. So tell me about that. Tell me what you think... Um, how, how did this idea come about, and how would it work? Sure. Well, I think that it's always a good idea to reconsider things that have kind of been on the back burner for a while. And one of the things related to government that's been on the back burner for a while is uh, reapportionment or the topic of how big is the House of Representatives. Okay, reapportionment. Why don't you tell the, the folks what that means exactly? Well, as populations change uh, between states, the idea is that the number of representatives should somehow 
you know, be proportional to the actual population of each state. So okay. as populations move, you know, Florida continues to gain new citizens. People are moving here from other states. You would expect that Florida would gain uh, electoral votes, seats in the House of Representatives, et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't it? Um, it does. Right. But along with that idea is the idea that population grows naturally. Right. So how many people does each representative represent? And then I got to thinking, does each representative represent its district best in Washington, D.C.? Should that person be in their district more than they are? Uh, are they subject to certain influences within the Beltway that maybe they wouldn't be if they stayed closer to home? And as technology changes, of course, they can certainly, you know, dial into their local radio stations or their local newspapers, even if they are in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. But the reverse is true. They can maintain contact with Washington, D.C. if they stay here closer to home. And, of course, that means they're living life here. Uh, they're going through the same sorts of experiences that we, their representatives, are going through. They are more available to us. So yeah, they'd be for, here full-time is what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, and I think technology facilitates that now. So Congress, you know, as it was originally set up, is, is in the horse and buggy days. You know, you would take weeks to get to, to Washington, or it could be months. If you're in San Francisco and you have to sail around Cape Horn or, take, uh, or go across you know, the whole country by wagon train, you know, you're not going to do this. This is, a, this is a, a long trip. Nowadays we have jet airplanes, but they're still conducting their, their business basically like it's the 1700s. Is mm -hmm. that what you're saying? Well, it, in a manner of speaking, yes. I think that perhaps it's, it's worth reconsidering how things are done given the advances in technology. I mean, just because we've always done something a certain way doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to continue doing it that way. Okay. So how, and we'll get to our callers in just a minute here, how would you set up Congress using modern technology to give the same representation uh, in Washington, the same effect, and so we're not going to lose anything by not having the people there and still have them be here in their districts? What would you set up to allow for committee hearings, for votes, for, I guess it'd have to be there for State of the Union, for like the big things that could be there. But for the most part, you're saying they could stay in the district you know, almost all the time. What, what technology would be useful today? Well, teleconferencing technology has taken some, some large steps, and folks that are involved in business have almost certainly had an opportunity to use that technology. But these days, with video conferencing, you know, essentially you can, can get secure channels of communication and you know, if you need to have different people in different places uh, take part in a simultaneous meeting uh, with computer technology, they can absolutely do that. And so whether it comes to committee meetings, uh, I think votes would be, would be very easy. I mean, if electronic casting of ballots is not going to be a problem. That's the, that's the easiest one, but I was thinking more of the committee hearings, and you don't want to miss the, the, the human interaction, though, because I remember watching the, the committee hearings that were confirming, that still are going on, confirming people in the Trump administration. There's a lot of body language. There's a lot of stuff going on, and I wouldn't want to lose that with the technology. We've got a couple of folks here on the line, so let's, uh, let's start with uh, Raymond here. Raymond, you're on with uh, Greg Penglis and Matt Fiebig. Um, what do you have for us this morning? Well, I'm talking, I'm listening to you 
uh, emphasize about the alcohol sale on the beaches. Okay. And I've been thinking for years that, you know, the people who run these uh, watering holes on the beach, they're just not mindful of the outcome of alcoholism and the effects that it has on families. Uh, they really get irate when you're talking about trying to control this stuff on the beaches out there. But, you know, they ought to just think about how much the wholesomeness of uh, not having alcohol present and the morale that, you know, used to be there when it was just uh, a place you could go and everybody could enjoy themselves because alcohol does a lot of stuff to change people's lives and, you know, and it, 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 it corrupts people. It's it just as worse as a gambler, you know, because you're taking chances when you drink and drive and, you know, and it causes rowdiness and, you know, money ain't everything. Yeah, so but these, it's, these, these it's, people who sell alcohol on the beach has got to be considerate of others, you know. Yeah. But if it's a legal activity, that'd be, you know, it's almost like saying, I don't, you know, guns can kill people, therefore nobody should carry them. Um, but we have a right to do so. It's a responsibility. And I also think about prohibition, which they stopped all alcohol and people did it anyway. So... It's a moral question. Is it a moral question individually, or do you think it's a moral question for society? Who who should have the influence uh, in saying that where people can drink? Well, I think that, you know, everybody ought to be considerate of others, you know what I'm saying? Because it works both ways, you know. Uh-huh. If you got somebody who want to drink and then, you know, they can't control themselves, well, if they go over to the beach and start drinking and then... But that's uh, illegal. You know, if you, if you can't control yourself, you know, I always separate legal from illegal. So if you're a responsible drinker and you want to enjoy a, a nice, you know, cocktail on the beach, um, as opposed to somebody that's going to abuse it and commit a crime, that's two totally different things. So let's, let's, get, uh, let's get you on a conclusion here. If you were on the board, would you vote to continue the alcohol ban or would you vote to... Uh, to uh, eliminate it? Well, I would consider banning it because it's getting out of spring breakers come down and yeah. all this stuff happened. Every year somebody died to the effect of alcohol on the beach and stuff. Okay. You know, it just ought to be more to life, just drunkenness and stupidity, man. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what, Raymond, thank you very much for your call today. We appreciate that. Uh, we need to take a break, I think, here. So let's get uh, that, and then I'll get uh, Pete Next, you'll be uh, right after our break. This is Greg Penglis on uh, 1330 WEBY AM, Milton, Pensacola, and 1330 WEBY.com. We'll get that car in there and we'll uh, get that baton. This is Greg Penglis on WEBY 30 AM, 1330WEBY.com. My special guest in the studio is Matt Fiebig. So let's get, let me see, who's been waiting? Pete on number four. Hey, Pete, good morning. How are you doing? What do you got for us today? Good morning, Brother Greg. How are you doing, sir? I am very well. Thank you so much for waiting. What's, uh, oh, what's on no your mind? problem, no problem. I'm just sitting here drinking coffee. Uh, I You're not drinking on the beach, though, right? That's it, that's it. You know, okay. in, a, in a plastic bottle, so when I break it on the beach and I get drunk, I won't cut nobody, you know. Oh, well, thanks for being that considerate. I mean, that well, I think that's a rule out there at the beach, no yeah. glass. You know? Yeah, well, that makes sense actually. Yeah, you know, so that, that's yeah. why I came out with the little beer cans and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm a, I'm a unsweetened tea kind of guy myself. Hey, please don't be mad at me, but that last intro song by Stevie Wonder, uh-huh. I think that's an organ, not a guitar. Oh, really? Yeah, please don't be mad at me. Well, I played it on guitar, so it's oh, yeah, my version. Uh, according to what I hear, when you called in early, you could probably play it on a tuba. 
You're the only man that admits that you played tuba in high school. Usually people don't say that, you know? Well, you know oh, what? I was in the band. I was in the band. No, I actually used to play melodies. I would take old swing tunes, Glenn Miller and uh, Benny Goodman swing tunes, and I would play the melodies on tuba. So I, I took the instrument places it had never been. And now people are doing outrageous things on tuba, but I, you know, I kind of like to think of myself as a bit of a pioneer. Well, uh, you'd probably get a kick out of this back in high school, back in the 70s. I forget whether it was the Glenn Miller Band or the Benny Goodman Band, but they uh-huh. were traveling, and one of the two, I forget, it wasn't the originals, of course, but some of the members, because they were passed away, you know, yeah. in the 70s. And uh, somehow their drummer got sick or something, and uh, and the, the, the jazz drummer and the regular drummer, marching band drummer, couldn't do anything. I'm going to want to be rock and roller anyway. I said, man, I can do that. Hum a few bars. I could do it. And, boy, I set that place on fire. They wanted me to tour with them. I said, no, man, Good forget for you. it, you know. Okay. Let me bring it back to our, our, our guest here. Yeah, Mr. We're, Matt. We're, we're talking about Matt Fiebig. Um, Like I say, you know, anybody's welcome to be a guest here if you have something interesting oh, absolutely, to say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what uh, do you think about uh, uh, Congress if we change the law or at least talk to them about having the, our Congress representative, you know, in our case, Matt Gates here, uh, in the district permanently? Do you think that would be a good idea, or do you think that things are going pretty well as they are? Well, I think things can be uh, teleconferenced. I mean, not saying that we don't need the congressional hall or anything, you know, the floor, but uh, aren't there, if I'm not mistaken, three buttons, a, a green one for yes, a yellow one for well, I'm president, like uh, President Barack Obama did. Yes, he did. He voted president a quite a bit. And then a red one for no. I mean, this can be done, you know, uh, on your cell phone, I guess, you know. Well, we could have like a red, white, and blue button for Republicans and a, and a red button with a uh, hammer and sickle oh, for the Democrats. Okay. We could do that, too. <laughs> so, so this is, uh, that's, is Matt Gates in the studio? No, he's not. No, oh. this is Matt Fiebig, our, our, okay. our, our expert yeah. cleaning guy. Yeah, that, that guy. Okay, that's true. That's but I asked Matt Gates. I asked him to be here. They're busy this morning. They have some legislative stuff. I'm in contact with their office fairly frequently because I want to present him with this issue. I want to find out what he thinks because uh, he's fairly new in Congress, and he's young enough that he would have had a lot more technology to grow up with than some of the folks that have been there, the leadership especially, um, that have, you know, they're, like we are talking about, horse and buggy days, you know, the original 1700s congressman. That's probably how, no, I'm just kidding. Well, well there's, a, there's a lot of old-school stuff there, too. Like, do we have, the, the, they count the yays and the nays, mm-hmm. then they say the nays have it. That's old-school, you know. Yeah. Would you visit your, your district office more often if you knew the congressman was there? Oh, yeah, he's the, the ones we have locally, like Mr. Matt Gates, he's a good old guy. He comes into town all the time, and he, he's, a, he's young at this, and he's new at this. He's been in it for several years, but he just recently got voted into his new position. But I think he's going to be one that's just going to stay a local good old guy and, and fly back and forth. You know, okay. some fly back and forth they put many hours on, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Just, Hey, listen, we're going to run and, hey, thanks and grab for, a call Hey, uh, thanks here. for taking my call. Thank you very much for, for being here. Let's go to Randy. Randy, you're on uh, with Greg Pangloss and Matt Fiebig. What, uh, what have you got to say today? Well, good morning, Greg. Um, uh, real quick, because uh, I, I wanted to say I loved your analogy about uh, prohibition and gun control. Uh, they're <laughs> 100% the same thing. Yep. And uh, people don't realize that, but they're absolutely the same. They're the same issue when you get down to it. It's about... Do you enforce the law or do you make more laws? And is it about your opinion or is it about safety? Um, alcohol and family are not exclusive of one another. Uh, this idea that the beach could be wholesome without alcohol, as soon as you hear the word wholesome, you know where that person's coming from. 
It has nothing to do with safety or reality. It has to do with his personal beliefs. Well, that's a valid opinion. um, I mean, we all go on our personal beliefs. I I don't want to impinge on these beliefs. But the question is, do your beliefs uh, cover other people? Do you have the right to to dictate the behavior of others, especially if it's a legal activity? Right. Do you use your personal beliefs and the police power of government to force those on others? Right. And that's the thing. You know, if you're really that worried about it, then you need to be on the sheriff's butt about enforcing the laws now not uh, on politicians, but it's about changing laws. Hmm. Um, there's two groups of people that go out to the beach and try to ruin it for locals. Those are the, the ones who want to take their personal beliefs against alcohol, usually religious people. And then the others are the rich Yankees that move in and don't want the local riffraff hanging around their house. And, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But anybody that say it used to be different, they're wrong. I grew up here, yeah. and we've always had open containers out at Pensacola Beach. And, and you know what? If I'm sitting there with some beer in my my beach chair with my family, I'm not affecting any other people's children negatively one little bit. Yeah, you're minding your own and, business. Um, it's a legal activity. And the question I have, and this goes for a lot of issues, especially the gun control issue again, is is the difference between you know legal and illegal and people confuse the two they sort of say if something can be used illegally then we have to prohibit it completely if we did that with cars you know we would ban cars because some people speed so let me two questions real quick one do you think uh, you think alcohol this this alcohol ban should be overturned and also what would you think of having congress uh, not in washington but absolutely you know mandate by law in this you know that they stay in their own districts what do you think i think the ban should be overturned okay and you're just talking about to the uh, the west of the, the pier, correct? You know, honestly, I, I haven't even been out there yet. <laughs> I am so right, new here. So, I literally arrived last weekend. So, yeah, I think uh, it should be overturned, okay. absolutely. Good. And as far as the congressman being here, yeah. no, I don't think so. I think they need to spend time together having meetings and doing that sort of thing. I think they should be in Washington more, not less. Okay. And the problem we have now with these moron protesters that are organizing and traveling to town hall. Let's force them to go to Washington, D.C., and don't bring them here to Pensacola. That is an interesting uh, observation. So now we have two sides. So we have two perfectly articulate arguments, one for keeping the, the, the district folks here and one for keeping them in Washington. I like that. So, Randy, thanks for calling in. I hope to hear from you again. All right. Again. God bless you. All right, you take care now. And we'll take a quick little break and be back with uh, Matt Fiebig and a couple more issues. In Oregon, we had that discussion last time. This is Greg Fangos on 1530 AM WEBY and also 1530WEBY.com. I'm with Matt Feebig. Uh, this is the Action Radio Hour. So air conditioning is essential if you want to get that uh, that humidity out. If you want to keep the, uh, I guess it even prevents mold and mildew, doesn't it? I mean, you can keep their homes, you know, safer, better, more comfortable. That's right, and cleaner. Yeah, cleaner too. So, so air conditioning actually does. I'm talking. I got a cleaning expert in the studio. I might as well make use of it, right? So, so, the, so, what does air conditioning actually do to the quality of the air? Well, if it's uh, if you have a good system and it's maintained well, like those folks at Energy Savers will do for you, uh, you're going to have cleaner air and better air quality okay. in the home. Okay. If if your system goes continually over and over and over again without regular maintenance. Uh, all the dust and allergens and everything eventually makes its way. No filters, perfect. Yeah. It gets into your HVAC system, and uh, sometimes that's why when you restart your system after the, the seasons, you get kind of a 
unpleasant odor. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was wondering about allergy because allergies, you know, I have a report. I'll be talking about that uh, at some point. So that's interesting. Um, A-Dog, the world's greatest producer, had a, had a comment for me, too, because the, we were talking about the alcohol ban. Uh, on, on Pensacola Beach, and it's actually on the boardwalk. Can you kind of clear that up for us so we know exactly where that stands? Yeah, you, you can still take your alcohol into the sand. Um, you can't have it. There's on the boardwalk heading into the parking lot, there's a sign saying no alcohol beyond this point, Okay. which has always been there. So you couldn't carry the alcohol into the parking lot itself. That makes sense. Um, but, yeah, as somebody that works security at one of the beach clubs, on Pensacola Beach Boardwalk. Okay. Um, we found it to be more of a problem than to have people walking on the boardwalk because they stay at one establishment drinking their alcohol. Stationary. They're not moving. And they're... then they cause yeah. problems with other people uh, okay. because they're confined. Do you think that's been taken into account by the folks with this ordinance, or do they... I about it. give a report of how many incidents they have, and of course the police get involved. And this past season, we we had quite a bit of problems than the previous two years I worked there. Can the problems be solved without uh, banning alcohol? Do you think? I mean, yeah. If you just take it back to where it was, just the the boardwalk and the beach itself. Okay. Because uh, you can never have have it in the parking lot to begin with. Yeah. My concern is, as an action radio person, is this a place where we need to take action? You know, it doesn't doesn't sound like it. If they just go back to the regular thing, then they should be fine. Let's get back to our guest here, um, because Matt, when we talked earlier, you're mentioning that the the swamp in D.C. that Donald Trump talks about. Um, the media, the uh, the the lobbyists, how, you know, compared to life here, and you're mentioning, you know, family and churches and activities. Talk a little bit about that. Why you, you know your argument of why you think it'd be better to be here and get out of that place. Well, I certainly think it would be worth having the conversation, Greg. And the reason is that I think people are influenced by their daily activities, by the people that they spend the most time with, and the more time that our government representatives and uh, in the D.C. metropolitan culture, the more accultured they become to that environment. Have you been there? I have, actually. Okay, go ahead. Tell me about it. Yeah, I, I did an internship at the Department of State, actually. So. Oh, there you go. So yeah. this is, uh, did you get that from your study, International Relations and Politics? Uh, that, was part of, that was part of my study, okay. yes. Because I interned there as well. Uh, I was uh, doing economics work with the Consumer Federation of America. Mm-hmm. So I was on the FTC Federal Trade Commission oversight and cool. got an amazing look. And it is a culture. Uh, you know, you see these people screaming and yelling at each other on C-SPAN, but then they go to dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and they're all buds. You know, Ted Kennedy and uh, who's the um, Gold, uh, Gold, Senator Goldwater, Barry Goldwater. You know, we're like, you know, you see them together, shaking hands and having fun, and they'd be just on the news. Oh, he's the worst person, and he's a horrible thing. You know, so this really does. Your, your culture that you're living in really does influence you. Do, do you think that influences the legislation as well? I think it does. I think that, you know, today we hear all about political parties, and you've got the national parties that have their national party platforms. And even at a local level, you know, a lot of times when our local politicians are running for office, they're running on principles that are espoused by the national parties. Hmm. And I think that, you know, it's worth questioning, is that effective representation or does what works for somebody, you know, in San Francisco, where you come from, yeah, uh, is, is that going to well, work I don't, here? I live in there. I don't, yeah. Well, yeah, 
I mean, most recently, but exactly. But uh, do you think we should have parties? I do. I think okay. party system can be very helpful. Uh-huh. But in other words, if everybody ran independently uh, and there were no political parties, there'd be no majority party in Congress. They would have to elect their committee heads, uh, chairs of the committee, you know, based on who they were as people, mm-hmm. uh, not. Uh, you know, you wouldn't be divided. So, in other words, if the Republican Party won a majority in either house, you know, all the chairs are going to be Republicans. Mm-hmm. Okay, but who's to say that that would necessarily be the best thing? So, if we're advocating that Congress be decentralized and actually be in the 50 states instead of being in Washington, should we not think about maybe making parties a thing of the past as well? I don't know if you want to mandate that, but um, do you think that cult- the culture of party affects, like you're saying as well? Yeah, and I think I think the party system would necessarily evolve if, in fact, Congress was decentralized and government became more decentralized. Do we mandate it, or do we just talk about it and suggest it? I think we start with suggesting it. Okay. Uh, it truthfully, the folks like Matt Gates, mm-hmm. who uh, are participants in the system, they're going to have some feedback uh, that yeah. that you know, right now they may know things about why it wouldn't work that we don't know. I try to or get them on. They I mean, might. They I did my really best like to get the idea here, yeah. and say, "Oh yeah, well, if you just if you look into this aspect or that aspect, we can make it work better." Hmm. You had an interesting comment too when we were talking before. Let's see if I pronounce this right. Subsidiarity, um, which is a principle from I think it was one of the popes that said that. It you, was. You drag up the code. He's it, got the electronic device. I, okay, so I, this is a guy that knows his electronics. You know, we we, we can we can find anything out here, uh, and this is this is different generation from me. So you actually grew up with all this stuff, or, or it came with you at an early enough age, so you got the hang of it, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with, with the text, so oh, okay. it's, it's so handy to have when, me, you, when you need information in a pinch. Tell me about this and tell me how that would fit into your philosophy of decentralizing Congress to the states. Well, subsidiarity is, like you mentioned, it's actually a, a Catholic doctrine. Okay. Uh, it came from Pius XI, I believe. And the, the principle of subsidiarity is that Decisions should be made at the lowest level possible and the highest level necessary. Okay. So, you know, in and of itself, that does not necessarily mean small government, but well, it, it means effective government okay. wherever the issue, you know, takes it. So, so you think local would be the most effective? Well, in a lot of cases, it is. Yeah. You know, we, we have things being legislated for us in Washington, D.C., uh, where the vast majority of people are representing other constituencies, but the laws that they make there have very real impacts on our local lives. Right. And, you know, there's the question with subsidiarity is, are the things that they're talking about in Washington, D.C., things that really ought to be dealt with at a national level, yep. or are they things that can be dealt with better, more effectively, more efficiently at a local level. Or are they doing it at a national level because they can? And, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is health care. Absolutely. Is that something that we could do at the local level? Well, I think that's the argument right now. Okay. A lot of the governors are advocating that, you know, hey, allow us to have the freedom to, to experiment. Allow us to have the freedom to innovate. Right. Let's bring this to a more local level, and let's see if we can do things in the states and in the counties that work better than what's coming out of Washington. Or have the states and, uh, and counties supervise a private corporate competitive system. Um, I want to run something by you that, uh, that I just thought of. I, I'd forgotten it for a while. I might include in my action radio ideas, which I'm going to get to 
one day fairly soon here, we're going to talk about all these. I had a, a tax system I designed where all taxes are paid locally. All right, Everything comes into the local government. The local government is then mandated to give a certain percentage of that to the county government. Right. Okay. So, but most of the control is local. So the only person you would ever be taxed by is your local tax assessor. All right. And you could go talk to them. You could go to their office. You could say, you know, we could all mess with the pitchforks and torches and, and say taxes are too high in our locality. And they'll say, but we, you want all these services. We need to do that. And so we'd negotiate, like you're saying, using subsidiarity at the lowest level, uh, not the lowest, but the most local level of how to make decisions. Now, the local government would then be mandated to give a portion to the counties. The counties would be mandated to give a portion to the state, states. The states would be mandated, and I don't know how to work this out, but they'd have to give a certain percentage of the taxes they get to the federal government, and that's all they would have. So the federal government couldn't tax anybody. The states couldn't tax anybody, and the counties couldn't tax anybody. Only the local governments could tax, and in each step along the way, because you'd have the most local governments that would be giving to the counties. So you have many local governments per county, many counties per state, many states per federal government, but there's no direct taxation by anybody higher. Would that fit into your theory? And, and again, my, my question, do we mandate? Do we, we, do we talk about it and work on it for a while? I think that's a topic definitely worth exploring further because, okay. boy, I'll tell you what, if you had to write that check every month or every quarter to your local tax authority, mm -hmm you'd really feel the impact. It would make you think a lot about, is this a service that really does matter to me? Is this something that, that I really want to have? Uh, right now, it's, it's easy because it's so far away just to not consider the impact. Oh, but it's taken out of your paycheck. It's just gone. Right. You, know, you don't even notice it. They see the net pay, but they don't see the, the gross pay, which gets into another topic on my Action Radio agenda, which is removing all withholding taxes. So if we could separate what you do for a living and your taxes, if there's no connection between them, let's fit that into our overall theory, too. So you, you work at whatever job, and it could be a national company, a multinational corporation. Mm -hmm. It could be you running your own local business. Right. But the taxation, it's not connected to your business in any way except what you as a business person would pay or your employees would pay to the local tax assessor. How would that fit in? Well, there's been an argument for years that consumption ought to be taxed. Okay. rather than production. And personally, I'm in favor of that. I think that... That's the, the fair tax yeah. you're talking about? Or just it, a, a national sales tax? Just as a principle. Now, it is a principle of the fair tax, yes. But uh, just as a principle, standing on its own, mm -hmm. that if you tax consumption versus productivity, I think when you tax productivity, it discourages productivity. How does that, that affect your business? Well, that makes it harder for me as a businessman to hire new people. It makes it harder to spend money in other places okay. because I'm withholding taxes, you know, from my own earnings and from the earnings of my employees. Uh, that withholds freedom too, right? Based on the revenues, yeah. you know, that, that I'm generating as a businessman. But if instead I was paying taxes based on the things that I was consuming, not the things that I was producing. Okay. It'd make me think more about what I was consuming, uh, but it would make producing new things a lot easier. And, you know, as a general rule, when productivity increases, when people are able to go out and grow their businesses, the economy gets bigger, people have more. They have more disposable income that they can then go and consume. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. And ironically, the government actually gets more money as the economy grows. Absolutely. You know, and people the don't... pie gets bigger, yeah. there, there's more for everybody, even the government. It's counterintuitive to Democrats. They, they don't understand this. 
that you can get, you know, that your objective is to get more, you know, they want more money for the government, and they only see as raising the tax rates is the only way to do that. So we're going to take a little break now. Um, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I want to continue this further and see this, this, this has been fascinating because I'm probably going to have you help me write some legislation. You know? <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I want to talk to some of the people in the town councils too. But when we come back, we'll talk more about that. Uh, I'm Greg Penglis. Uh, my special guest, Matt Feebig, our cleaning guy here at WEBY. This is 1330 AM WEBY and 1330WEBY.com. We'll be right back in just a bit. <laughs> That's like why I know all the time. It's, uh, it's a fascinating thing to, uh, to watch as well to listen to. This is Gary Penglis at 1530 AM, WEBY, and at 1630WEBY.com. Special guest, Matt Feebig, who started uh, our conversation with by walking in here wearing headphones and carrying a vacuum and a bunch of other cleaning things like that. Um, but you're quite an entrepreneur. So you created this business. You're in the, the, the Leadership Santa Rosa uh, organization. Can you tell me about, about what it means to be you know, a, an entrepreneur now and, and what restrictions might be on you because of some of the things we're talking about of, of the taxes and everything else? How is it for people trying to create a business now? Well, I would say one of the biggest factors is the administrative burden. Uh, What's that I, exactly? Well, I'm taxed by the municipal authorities, the county authorities, the state authorities, and the federal government. So just keeping up with my accounting and, you know, what money needs to go where and, uh, you know, one of the functions of my position as an entrepreneurial is that I collect sales tax for the state. So, you know, I'm actually an agent of the government in that sense. (laughs) What percentage of your time do you figure goes into the the accounting, the... uh, the collection of taxes, and like you say, you're an agent for the state. How much of your time is spent doing that? Realistically, probably 10 to 15 percent. But it's, it's still time, too much. But it, you know. it, it is. It's it's a lot of time that if I had, uh, I could invest it in marketing, or I could invest it in learning, you know, more about my own services and products, so that I can make sure I'm delivering a better product and a better service to my customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's time that. It takes away from, from the business itself and what I do. Yeah. So I, what I'm thinking is that you and I should work on that proposal I was talking about of having all taxes be local. And so you can tell me all the taxes that you pay, and we'll, we'll present this to, I don't know, where, what agency will we go to? This is what I need the callers to come in. Guys, if you want to make, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please, if you want to get in on the conversation, we do have a few minutes left at 850-623-1330. Um, so, so, you know, if you have suggestions for us, because we're going to start writing bills. That's what Action Radio is all about. I just don't know where to, to send a bill like that. You know, it would probably have to start with the feds. They'd have to give up their taxing authority. Oh, that's going to be fun. Bring it down to the states. would have to give up their taxing authority to the counties. would have to give up their taxing authority to the local governments. Do we do this by national referendum? Do we do this by, uh, I, I don't know. It's fascinating to find out, though, convention. huh? What's that? I, I have pondered what it would take to, to organize constitutional convention. You don't want a constitutional convention uh, for, for a very important reason, because then you open up the Constitution to all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, it, a lot of our rights would disappear. Most people, if you see the surveys, there's, there's a guy, Mark Dice, that does these YouTube videos. Yeah. Have you ever seen him? He'll, he'll ask absurd questions like, uh, oh, 
I wish I could think of a good example. But he'll ask totally just crazy things like, um, you know, do you think Mao Zedong would be a great president of the United States, or do you think we should become a communist dictatorship? And people are like, you know, we're, we're, he has petitions. He does this. He'll say, well, we're petitioning to get rid of the Bill of Rights. It's oppressive. It's old. It was written by, you know, old white guys. And we think we'd be better if we just get rid of the Bill of Rights. What do you think? And people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll sign that. Yeah. So people would vote away their rights really quickly. So you don't want a constitutional convention. What you want is an Article 5 convention of the states. And we'll talk about this when I get an Article 5 guest on, which is only considering specific amendments to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. You're not opening it up. If you have a constitutional convention, you open up the whole Constitution to being destroyed. But if you only consider certain amendments in, in an Article 5 uh, convention of the states, the states propose specific amendments to the Constitution and don't change anything else. So you know the agenda ahead of time. You're not surprised by someone that says, gee, we should just get rid of the Second Amendment. We can you know, kind of curl the First Amendment, say that we have free speech except when it's hate speech. That's what would happen. Right. That's why I want to get away from that. So you have to be very, very particular in how you do that. But I think it would be fascinating to work on a, a local uh, tax system. Well, that might be an argument for the maintenance of the national party system right there because if we can – if we start generating legislation at a local level, mm -hmm. uh, there's still going to need to be a vehicle, you know, whereby it can it can go to other places and get implemented. So I need some opinions. I need some more experts to, to kind of work this out. Um, you told me about your brother who's an architect, and his profession is self-regulating. How does that work? Yeah, well, we've talked quite a bit, and I think he actually might be listening this morning. So if well, I hope so. Is he, why isn't he calling in? Hey, that's a good question. What's his name? Uh, his name is Mike. Mike, we're wait, waiting for you. <laughs> Get on the mic, Mike. Anyhow, uh, the, the conversation that we've had is, is government necessarily the appropriate authority to regulate industry? And Ooh, what would you propose instead? Well, that's, that's or, where he was going with this, is that architects have professional self-regulation, and uh -huh. a lot of other... How do they do that? A lot of other professions do as well. Uh, they themselves agree to standards. Okay. And, you know. So there's like a governing body. There's a, an elected council of architects that kind of comes up with these things or he architects would be, recommend? He'd be better qualified to explain it. But, but generally speaking, yes. There are uh, professional associations. These associations uh, come up with. A manner of government they they decide how they're going to create these standards okay and really in the end they're the ones that are the most qualified because they understand their profession better than anybody what's what's in their interest to self-enforce uh, how does that work well you know one bad apple ruins the whole bunch that okay. principle so if you've got a, a renegade professional out there running around uh, providing a very poor service and, and using poor standards they're giving the whole industry a bad name Okay. So for those that are out there doing good work and upholding high standards, uh, it it scares customers away from them because they associate the bad architect with all the other architects. So the the field okay. as a whole has a self-interest in making sure that people who belong to that association are upholding high standards. Now, they're still open to lawsuits if they design a faulty building, correct? They are. Okay. So in that way, if you had the, the, the penalty of lawsuits and the self-governing, uh, are you saying that you wouldn't need uh, an architect regulatory board? Or who regulates architects now? Do you know? I don't. 
Okay. But I know that there are licensing boards in the various states. So, uh, you know, there's an element of of government involved in it. Okay. But the the principle is that, you know, certain certain industries are are better off regulating themselves than Which being ones regulated by the government. Which ones do you think could do that themselves? Could it could uh, companies like Monsanto, you know, generate all kinds of of weird food stuff? Could they self regulate? I, I think they could. Um, one, one for example, that comes to mind is the oil and petroleum okay. um, energy industry. You know, those folks have an incentive to be more efficient. Those folks have an incentive to be cleaner. Yeah. Uh, you know, any time that you can offer a better product, a cleaner product, a safer product, at a lower cost, you know, that's going to make things better for everybody, make things better for the producer and the consumer. On that note, we're done for today. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. And here we are back to present day. That was uh, five years ago. That was my first day at WBY. Pianki, what did you think of my first interview? Good morning, sir. Well, I think the law on the open container is ridiculous. And okay. I think Elliot Ness, Elliot Ness should have been sued for punching holes in people's barrels. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, that, that was my, like I said, that was my very first interview at WBY. Uh I got there, I got here on, I think, February 27th. Uh, 28th, I was like moving stuff. Uh, then uh, first day of March, I was watching the the previous host, uh, Mike Mashburn, uh, do the show. And the next day was me. <laughs> so and it was like I've done a full time radio show before. So it was brand new, brand new studio, brand new boss, brand new area, brand new everything. And uh, it, I think it worked out pretty well. Uh, but again, I, I could see where the mistakes were immediately. You know, talking over the music, and uh, there's a couple of awkward breaks in that because it's uh, the editing was a bit uh, crazy on that. But yeah. So that was one of the big issues, alcohol on the beach. I don't know. They, I guess they don't have it, do have it. I'm not sure where it stands right now. So uh, that's not an issue I've ever picked up on. Well, you know, Hello? I think that the – why does the federal government need to tax alcohol? That's a good question. Why does the federal government need to tax uh, much of anything? Why should they have a sales tax at all or a gas tax? You know, considering it's the states Absolutely. that should be taking care of the roads. Yeah. You know? Well, that's that's uh, you know, it's interesting. The you know, the, the trend as you and I talk more and more, it's fascinating that we're finding all these things that we're questioning that no one's ever thought. You know, that people assume that it should be a gas tax because the federal government, you know, needs the gas tax to grow. Why do they need to fix the roads? The, the roads run through states. The only roads they need to fix are in D.C. You know, every other road. You know, why do we yeah, have federal highways when we have state highways? I can see where they may want to, you know, in the case that we have to have a bridge across a major waterway. Mm-hmm. But uh, these other taxes that the federal, like, like I get back to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Why in the world does the federal government want to tax consumable alcohol? They don't do they tax rubbing alcohol, mm-hmm. and they both <laughs> serve a purpose. Yeah, it's. I think they're called sin taxes. If I remember what the word was, like cigarettes and al- and uh, alcohol uh, were considered sins, you know, way back in the old days. 
You know, you could abuse both of them. And so they taxed it to limit the activity. It didn't work. <laughs> People still want to smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol. So uh, it doesn't quite work that way. But yeah, and, and gambling, same thing. So let's think about the, let's think about the highways well, for a bit because we have, we have a national highway. Hang on before you go oh. get away too from, from that, though. Oh, because bring me back. then you Go had free. a case where they wanted the, the CDC mm-hmm. to declare gun violence a, a uh, health issue. That if you buy guns or make guns, you're contributing to the health, the detrimental health of you, of citizens, of people. Okay, let's think about that. So, so we got a couple of different things. We have got alcohol, we got tobacco, which are come under sin taxes, as they call them. In other words, the taxing an activity of something that's consumed. <clears throat> Firearms, they said, was not a sin, but a mental illness. <laughs> That's what the CDC was trying to say. That anybody who, it's like in Canada, uh, did you hear what they're going to do in Canada? Uh, it's really horrible. Let me get this article here. Uh, Canadian doctors uh, are being from the wildfire uh, newsletters Kyle Becker and Substack. Uh, Canadian doctors are being directed to consider psychi- psychiatric meds, uh, medicine, uh, and therapy for, quote, unvaccinated. So in other, it's the same kind of thing. So in other words, if you don't take the COVID jab, for a disease that doesn't affect 99.99% of the people um, and uh, takes away personal choice, you know, of what you inject into your body. If you don't do that, that's somehow a mental illness, you know, and they're, they're going to force uh, antidepressants on you to make sure they're forcing you know, medication you don't need uh, to take a medication that you don't need. Fascinating. Seeing what government agencies well, do. Why come, the, uh-huh. why come the cliche, my body, my choice, don't apply with the, Consumption of alcohol, smoking cigarettes. What well, does? You remember? It does. Well, yeah. actually. You remember they right. tried to impose a tax on big gulps in New York? Uh huh. Yep, I remember that. The big gulp, the Bloomberg thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so no, what they, you know, like he wants to raise income taxes. Well, let's mm-hmm. talk about removing this tax on alcoholic consumption. That's a person's yeah. body. If a person needs to receive some, what do you want to call it, comfort from drinking, mm-hmm. that's their business. If a person, you know, to restrict uh, open containers and drinking on the beach, well, what's to keep a person from drinking and go jumping in a water hole, the, the favorite swimming hole? It can't be for the safety. You just want to tax so, the Okay, let's let's talk about liberty versus personal responsibility for versus what's legal and illegal. So you don't want people drinking alcohol on the beach. That's what you're saying? Yes or no? No, I think if a person will sit out on the beach and watch the sunset and have a cool one, that's their business. Okay. So, anyone. so, so you want to make it illegal. I just want to make sure of that. I don't want to make any of them illegal. Oh, okay. I missed misheard you then. All right, so so alcohol on the beach is fine, uh, and you know, and as I talked about with the caller that originally proposed it, I said, you know, it all depends on on what you do. You know, if you drink, uh, you know, if you drink alcohol and then expose yourself on the beach, you've committed a crime, not because you drank alcohol, but because you exposed yourself. You know, or if you uh, start getting violent or any other, or you steal somebody else's cooler. You know, something like that. The alcohol attributes to that, but you're still responsible for your actions. So it's not the alcohol to blame. You know, it's the fact that you stole somebody else's cooler. Same thing with guns. The gun's not to blame if you take it and rob a bank. The gun didn't rob the bank. You did. 
you know, but you could have just as easily used that gun for self-defense against somebody robbing a bank, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it, it's all intent. It's all use. And that's what we have to separate. So I, I agree with you. I, would, I don't have a problem with alcohol on the beach as long as people don't break other they laws. They know the poor Pee Wee Herman because he what had his hands that? in his pants at the show. See, I don't even yeah, know that story. I don't, know if, I don't know if I want to know that story, but uh, what uh, you know, what it actually did? Well, I, do we want to go into this? Oh, okay, go ahead. Tell me the story. No, not really, <laughs> but it's kind of relevant. Okay. You made the mention of the words "exposed," but uh, <clears throat> no, no kidding though. I think that we need to start going to need to. There needs to be movement to say, "Hey, federal government, you got to stop taxing this because yeah. you can't use the same consideration and logic." in one case, and then right here, you blatant in our face, you want to tax alcohol. Yeah, I'm just writing something down here real quick. So, so no, you know what it is? It's like, well, we can, we can make this more general, maybe cover some other things, make this feel more inclusive. Because if you include things that the government is taxing to coerce behavior, as opposed to taxing for the necessary expenditures of government. So that's all, that's all taxes for. A tax is, we are taxed to provide a fund for necessary expenditures. is what's necessary, okay? Now, is federal gas tax necessary? Probably not. But the federal government still has an interest through interstate commerce in making sure that commerce goes through. So I understand having federal highways, but the actual construction and maintenance of those highways can be done at the state level. We don't have to have a federal highway transportation authority dictating how everything's done. You know, as long as the highways are the same width, you know, in the same basic construction, and, and they, they hold the same amount of weight. I don't see why the states can't build the, the, the highways, um, but there are, but the, the federal government could designate interstate highways. Does that make sense? But and would, they wouldn't need a gas tax for that, because the states would be responsible for their portion of the highway. I think that uh, the old case I see the federal government is interstate highways. Of course, you know, they put those systems in themselves. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes down to uh, billing levies. You know, uh-huh. I don't think that no company is going to take the liability that's involved with a levy that holds back the Mississippi River, for instance. Okay. Because so if that's we, why if the, we, the core engineers usually are the ones that oversee that. And so then you got these bridges that go across the water, like the um, yeah. San Francisco, what is it, the Golden Gate Bridge? Mm-hmm. There should be some federal involvement in putting bridges like that in because it, 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 it's, it's a lot of money involved. Do you know? Do you know, how the, federal, do you know how the Golden Gate Bridge was funded? It's a exciting story because I used to be a tour guide. I drove over it every day, several times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know? How, do you know it's funded? How it was funded it? With private private bonds. It was funded privately during the Depression. Bank of America. Uh, that's part of what made Bank of America rich was that they had, they offered bonds uh, and the bond holders were paid back by the government eventually. So, but the, the initially the, the bonds were done privately. I'm not sure about the Bay Bridge, Bay Bridge possibly too, but I'm pretty sure the Gay Bridge was funded uh, with private bonds that were you know, at a time when they needed the bridge. Now, they, remember these two bridges were built in 1936. So we're in the middle of the depression and we're building the Oakland Bay Bridge which is much longer than the, the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge is very short, but it just happens to be built in a very awkward place, the Golden Gate. That's, uh, so the Golden Gate Bridge is not called the Golden Gate Bridge because it's gold, because it's not. It's orange. <laughs> you know, international orange. So the, is the then again, color. Uh-huh. you got a point there. I think because I knew in, in the St. Louis County, uh-huh. no, I, yeah, school district, school district float bonds 
for mm-hmm. capital improvement. In this case, we're talking about new buildings. Mm-hmm. And then the taxpayers in that area, under the that school district, they pay for it. So that's a good idea there. Yeah, you could do yeah, that. Let's raise the, the only, to build bridges. The only condition I would see that would be a problem, this is why I said standard condition, standard weight. So in other words, if the, if the states were constructing a portion uh, of a federal highway that went through their state, Federal government do this because they have a responsibility over interstate commerce. This is the uh, the, the purest form. The only decent uh, reason for interstate uh, the interstate commerce clause is to make sure that goods and services can cross freely between the states, so that no state monopolizes trade and victimizes other states. I mean that's what it's for. So if you had a federal highway system, you wouldn't have to have a federal highway gas tax if the states were floating bonds and doing their own paying for their highway. But you'd have to have a federal standard. The highways would have to be a certain width, a minimum width of the lanes. You'd have to have a minimum strength, and you'd have to have a minimum strength for the bridges so that any truck could go anywhere in the country. You couldn't have a state that said, well, we're going to you know, make the, our freeways thinner and our bridges you know, have a lower truck capacity weight. You couldn't do that. That would affect interstate commerce. So as long as the, the standards were the same for the highway nationwide, the federal government wouldn't have to actually build it. It could be done with state, uh, state contractors, bonds, however they wanted to fund it. Uh, there might even be some reimbursement. From the, from the federal government, depending on how they do it. But in other words, these are options that no one's even thinking about because I think the feds have their own highway budget. I think they remember when they had the, uh, the 21-year-old drinking age. The states were coerced into raising their drinking age to 21 by the withholding of federal highway funds. Even the threat. Caused, remember that? Remember that happened? That's so, what they do all the time. Yeah, so, so that's why you want to take that money away from this convention of states in Article 5, mm-hmm. specific... They need to be an amendment. And this commerce clause should be better defined so that people can see exactly what details when they go looking for the devil in the pudding. Because right now, the devil in the pudding. <laughs> you missing your metaphor? Looking for the devil in the pudding? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Because they, they just, it's disguised that all of a sudden it reveals itself in a negative way, which takes away your liberty. There'll be one that say that, uh, like you, these uh, delivery service talking about this, going to refuse to deliver parts for guns, ammunition. See, that affects interstate and, commerce. They can't do that. That would be an equal protection and a commerce violation of restricting, arbitrarily restricting interstate commerce of illegal activity. See, I would, I would, I would fault that on two grounds right there, legally, and block it. News media should not mm-hmm. be news media should be punished when they write a story and does not give all the details because see they will um, write that story. So listen now, listen. They will yeah, write okay. that story and say that uh, guns, uh, the UPS would no longer transport guns, but they don't go further and say that this is illegal according to the Commerce Clause. So they leave that they leave that effect. And the consumers, then they run with it, and it's spread it out throughout the community and society like a wildfire. That it's illegal for guns to be transported across state lines. That's what it sounds like. No, I know what you mean, uh, but your problem is you to make something illegal. That's just bad journalism. And so the answer to bad journalism is better journalism. But what is illegal is censorship. 
and declaring that some the government see here's what the government does the government doesn't say they're censoring anymore because that'd be a violation of the first amendment they say they're removing false information or misinformation that's a violation of the first amendment because misinformation is still information misinformation is just as legal as information because it's speech in free speech i don't think we ever really talked about this but free speech includes free speech includes lying you know um because it's it's still speech because what one person because then it gets arbitrary so in other words, if the government considers my speech on this show lying, should, do they have the right to close me down? No, even if I'm wrong. What the answer to if I'm no, wrong is someone else should come along and say, hey, Penglis is wrong. Here's what really the world is. You know? so, so the answer to bad journalism is better journalism. The answer to lies is truth. But the answer is not censorship. And the answer is not censorship under some other name, like misinformation or hate. See, this is, problem, this is how they've gotten around the First Amendment. And they get around the Commerce Clause by the courts. Well, here's another thing. <laughs> Okay. Like when you hear people say that slavery affects blacks today. Well, that's just not true. No, it doesn't. It doesn't affect all blacks. Nope. So that's misinformation that mm-hmm. the government is even promoting when they talk about reparations. Mm-hmm. Reparations for what? Well, because these people, well, that's not true. All blacks were not treated bad. And also, it does not affect all blacks. And also, you were saying that whites had the slaves. Well, blacks had slaves. That's a bunch of black misinformation going on. Yeah, and, and white slave yeah. owners were like a really minority. What was it, like 8% of, uh, of, of Southern no, farmers? It was, it was probably less than 3% on the dawn of okay. the Civil War. Yeah. But look at all the misinformation that's going on there. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that the Civil War well, is fought slavery is a misinformation. We talked about it with Brianna on Tuesday. The Civil War is issues. Because there weren't enough slave owners to go to war over. If the slave owners are only 3% of the population, that's not enough of a, you know, why would, why would Southerners go to war for 3% of, 3% of their population of slave owners? They wouldn't do it. That's a good point there, Greg. I have my moment. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, check out the show with Brianna. We actually talked about the conditions. Um, and she, you know, just bear in mind, she's our high school reporter. Uh, and so we talk about this really interesting with her generation. Uh, we were talking about the Civil War coming. It was a really interesting hour. And so I would refer you back to that. Uh, and that's one of the things we talked about was the Civil War. We compared the Civil War to a future Civil War. The Civil and, War and how was it that's, What's that? It was, it was about commerce. We've been misled. Misinformation mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. brought you into thinking of it as about slavery. Like mm-hmm. you said, if there's only less than 3% of the population that had anything to do with it, what mm-hmm. would you spend all those lives and money and everything else for three percent of the population that there is supporting an elite class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, so we have our own elite class. I mean, would we go to let's pick a um, let's pick a, a, an unpopular profession that has a minority that has a very rich minority? Big tech. You know, do you think California would declare? Do you think the citizens of California would go to the go to war with the federal government to save big tech? You know, to save the right sense, oh, no. I don't think and yet so. California, and yet California, who supports big tech, the government supports big tech, they may secede on the grounds that they want big tech to censor because they want to protect information. They don't want hate speech. They, they want to protect their misinformation. And they would uh, declare war on the federal government and want their citizens to go to war for them. Now, there's a rough parallel today, right? An un- a minority, a very powerful minority, the, big, the owners of big tech, Facebook, Google, you know, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all those kind of folks, the folks there, uh, and they, 
they would, be, they would be running their big tech, which is a huge part of the California economy. Would the citizens of California go to war against the federal government to protect big tech the way the South went to war to protect slavery? <clears throat> I would say no. And, I would, and that's, that defeats that slavery argument because it was a minority of the population, a very elite, very rich minority of the population who went to war because the government of the South went to war, not because the people did. Yeah, I don't think they went to war to protect slavery. That there is still more information. It was about exactly economics. Mm-hmm. It was about taxes and that's the way economics. The information. It was about trade. It was about is the world controlled by the northern industrial states through Washington D.C. victimizing the southern agricultural states. That's really what the war was about, as I see it. You know, when you when you bring those uh, points out to a government body like in a uh, alderman automatic uh meeting <clears throat> mm-hmm. and just look at the, their faces their faces is if somebody butt naked walked in the room <laughs> <laughs> that's the only problem with radio is i can't see the facial reactions that is the one thing that i regret but i've, I've spoken before our city council i've spoken before our, our zoning commission uh, to try and get uh, the traffic light things changed so that uh, we can traffic and flow better. I mean, I've, spoken, I've, I've got a growth management plan uh, that's actually a growth management plan compared to the wide open plan they have now. I've spoken a lot of different issues. It's kind of fun, but I actually see the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's okay. so much, there's a lot that needs. See, here's the thing. They constantly mm-hmm. take and take and take from you, but mm-hmm. conservatives, don't act in the manner that they should to take back, which well, is exactly pushing them away. But they're not conservatives anymore. Cons- conservatives are supposed to conserve. So if you're con- if you're if you're a true conservative, conserving rights, you're conserving resources, you're conserving property, you're conserving life, you're conserving religion, you're conserving you know uh, guns, you're conserving things that we want conserved, because that's what brings us our freedom. That's what a true conservative is. Today's conservatives are giving everything away. I was listening to One American News last night um, talking about – no, I was actually – yeah, it was, it was uh, well, I listened this morning from repeat last night. Robert Spencer, who I actually interviewed in Washington on, my, 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 the, on the lost interviews with WBY. Uh, he's, he has jihad. He was talking about how the left has infiltrated all the churches. That's incorporated during COVID. That, uh, that's why their doctrines are all leftist doc- – they're becoming leftist preachers. They're becoming Marxist preachers. Everybody's leaving the church. So, so they've even infiltrated uh, to there too. It's, it's, uh, you know, things are changing. I forgot how I got on that topic, but anyway, it was interesting. Where would we start? <laughs> you That's sort of like the sermon that uh, Warmack was was preaching. Uh-huh. I guess it was this past Sunday, <clears throat> and then he had to refer to the Bible and try to throw chronicles this, chronicles that. You know, people need to get hip to this stuff, man. You can write a verse, a passage. To apply to just to, to, to tie in your shoes. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. Well, how you about know, some, and, and God uh, says, and God says that thou shalt kneel rather than bend over and tie your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great example. Uh, so so, uh, uh, Pianki, you know, good to have you on the show. Uh, it's it's uh, you're we're both ordained well I don't know if ordained is quite the right word we're both certified ministers at the Universal Life Church so Father Pianchi good to have you on the show so and, I got a question and brother Go and brother Greg I'm happy to be here with you well that sounds good so we're, we I, I shall, shall we, defer to shall your, we, your shall aging we drink experience. some wine 
<laughs> we should. We should commune. <laughs> we should commune with our wine. You know, drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight times to transubstantiate. Uh, that is the Vatican Lira for those that recognize my reference right away. Well, Father Piaki, uh, I think uh, you should enlighten us on on uh, uh, Reverend Warnock's potential uh, membership in Black Liberation Theology. I don't think that has uh, come up because the Geldings won't say it, uh, but you will. <laughs> Is he is he a member of that uh, that August group of uh, black supremacists? Yeah, I'm a, he's sitting there. They all living to go to heaven. Uh, <laughs> what's going on on the earth is just a by and by. So, what is black liberation theology? I've I don't have a good working definition in my head right now, but Warnock seems to be someone who would be. It seems like a black supremacist with back, you know, using religion as a cover. But That's when you take the Bible and you use it. To, when you take the Bible and when you use it to support your own self-centered and narrow view. Okay. You know, like they like to quote Denmark Pressley, who's a uh, basically you could say he started maybe when he used the Bible and the passages in the Bible to talk against the experiences that uh, they were experiencing that was slavery. <laughs> God, trying to use a, God said you must obey your master. Right. That's a, and then it goes on further. To... Well, I think yeah, you answered my question. It up. Oh, uh, okay. Let me you back up the microphone a little bit. I'm breaking up. Yeah, your verbiage is uh, being broke. Uh-oh. But uh, well, let me, yeah, let that, me come uh, back that's again. where it comes. Check my microphone. Yeah, I'm so so live. Okay. Um, I th- the, you sort of answered the question I was asking was, are there those who use the Bible uh, as some kind of justification for slavery? I think you're saying something like that earlier. Well, yeah. yeah About master. Slave or big master. Okay. And see, so you, you know the problem there. You know what the problem is? Is that the word slave is used with a different viewpoint in Western society than what it would be used in Eastern society, or even in Africa. Okay. And then Explain. Sometimes it's applied, right? Because people say, I'm going to the plantation. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about they're going to their job. Hmm. I had that discussion with a guy years ago, decades ago. When uh-huh. we tried to refer to the work we were doing, we, we both there together and saying that, yeah, we're slaves for this company. Well, that's more a euphemism or a metaphor as opposed to an actual reality. If you're, if you're working for nothing, you'd be a slave. But if you're a substandard, which you, you're being exploited, there's a difference. If you're in a company town and well, you're actually like losing people. money with work, you know, so that, that's even worse. If you're, if you're losing money, even though you're working full time, that's worse than a slave because you're actually going into debt. Well, just like this past election cycle, you had some states have verbiage in it to remove uh, their verbiage out of the, their constitution that slavery, except for the commission of a crime. Well, hell, you mean a person that could go out and commit crimes against the citizens that the citizens are supposed to uh, incur the entire cost of confining them, should they not 
do something that would go to offset that cost, and that's the form of labor while they're confined, a commercial labor while they're confined. It doesn't make sense. See, this is new, so help me out here. So I, I don't remember this part. So there were there were on state ballots. They they said that that uh, convicts, prisoners, um, could not be forced to to pay for their upkeep somehow. Or what? what how did that work exactly? The state ballots, the verbiage in U.S. in state constitution sort of uh-huh. follows the Thirteenth Amendment, where okay. slavery is uh, forbidden except for the commission of a crime. Other words, right. when you're in prison, uh-huh. they consider that as slavery. When you're in prison, you don't get paid for the work that you do. But that well, work that you do is going for the cost of your confinement. Well, yeah, that's one of the that's one of the uh, the, the rights or privileges that you give up when you're in jail. If you've committed crimes against society, you've gone through due process, you've been convicted, and you're in prison, you don't get paid. That would be rewarding you for committing a crime. That's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's let's get the 13th minute. But the worst thing is, uh-huh. the worst thing is, Greg, you've got some legislatures that agree that that should be on the ballot. That goes to show you the state that the minds in the United States have sunk into. Oh, so you're saying that they, they want to get prisoners. They want to actually put in the Constitution that prisoners get paid for their work? They want to remove that passage, and some states did pass it. Uh, Louisiana, uh, they turned it down. That's interesting. Well, 13th Amendment says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime, whereof the parties shall have been duly convicted, which is what I said, due process, right, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. That would be the territories. So that's slavery, they which, want to remove. Yeah, but slavery is They want to remove that out of the state constitutions. Yeah. But if you're incarcerated, that's not slavery. You're, you're, you're being taken from society and punished for an act that you did. See, slavery is involuntary. Nobody says, oh, please make me a slave. Sign me up. You know, you, there's no, you, know, you don't go to the store and sign up for slavery. Um, so, it's, so the thing is you are taken as a slave. It's an involuntary act, whereas a crime is a voluntary act. Can consider to amend prison, a state constitution uh-huh. should be just as strenuous as it is to ratify a amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Oh, absolutely. Where that three quarters, seventy-five percent well, come in. You've just touched on a huge problem uh, that we're going. We should take up another time. States, state constitutions are like legislation, except harder to change. And so, Florida has a bunch of the Florida Constitution is huge. The Florida Constitution should be the size of the federal, if not less. Um, but the problem is that people don't know the difference between a constitution and statutory laws. And this is what we talk about this on the show all the time. A constitution limits the actions of government. Statutory laws limit the actions of people, corporations, organizations, things like that. Ordinances are local level things that limit uh, people's activity. Um, and then you have, other, you have different subdivisions below. But the biggest one, and regulations. Regulations uh, limit activity, too, of people and organizations. But the, the only thing that limits the actions of government is, consti- is a constitution. And that's why a constitution is so important. So the most important thing for a state constitution is to not have anything in it that is legislation, that is, that is uh, statutory. Con- state constitutions should only have things that lim- limit the state government. Anything else should be taken out and made statutory law. But that's where your problems come in. Missouri Constitution probably has a bunch of things that are statutory. 
It shouldn't be there. Well, the, zero statute, the statute not only limit, but it also gives rights too. Um, well, like well, you know, say when we're talking about school, it like mm-hmm. it tells the school district that <clears throat> your curriculum, textbooks, and instruction materials up to you, not the state. But that's an individual right. The individual rights do belong in constitutions because that limits government. Well, but, but, but that's that's applying to the district, which consists of the people. It says that right. the state board of education nor the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education cannot mandate to a district on what its curriculum, textbook, and instruction material can be. That's left up to the people. Mm-hmm. So that's a statute. No, that's okay. If it's a statute, that's fine. I mean, statutory law is still law. The statute, statute still has has a, has a you know a direct effect, a hundred percent effect. You know, you don't have to make it illegal to rob banks and put it in the state constitution. You can go to jail just as easily, you know, by having it, uh, you know, a state law. But the difference is that you want to limit constitutions as much as possible. Very brief language, very specific. And the constitution of Missouri and many other uh-huh. states, too, uh, authorized the formation of villages, towns, and cities of different classes, first class, city, second class. City third class city. Right. It authorizes the police in uh, these uh, cities, towns, and, and you know, and so on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hey, let me just ask you one more question before we go. Uh, that is what uh, Matt Fiebig was talking about uh, five years ago with me, that Congress should not necessarily go to Washington or nowhere near as much, that they could do almost everything they do in the district. They could vote in the district. They could have Zoom meetings in the district. They could do a lot of stuff. Uh, well, I'm going to ask about this when I get them. I'm gonna, I want to get them back on the show. But during COVID, so much of what Congress did was in the district. So this would be an interesting follow-up. Should Congress spend more time in the district and less time in Washington so they get a better idea what's going on in their districts? Well, you know, I think at one time Congress only met, and I know states do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They only met uh, during a certain time of the year. Well, yeah, because it took a while to get there. If you were in uh, San Francisco representing California, you know, in Congress, and it took you three weeks, four weeks, I don't know how long it would take to uh, uh, get across the country. Once, once the, Well, by train. Once you had the trains, it would be a little less. But, you, you know, before the uh, Intercontinental Railroad, it would have taken forever to get from California to Washington. So I'm sure they only met, you know, for a month or two and then went home. Probably took them like a month to get there and a month to get back. Yeah. You know, but once we had telegraph and, and telephone. If we done and, it that uh, way, it wouldn't have been no January the 6th. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really interesting thought, though, um, to have the, um, you know, have Congress, you know, I don't, because I don't mind Congress meeting in Washington. That's not the problem. What I think we really need to do, and I'll talk to Matt about this also, is move the, the agencies and departments out of D.C. But that's kind of hard to do because D.C. is set aside for that purpose, so I'm not sure what to do there. Anyway, it, it's a thought. There's a bunch of things. Um, okay, I'm, I'm good. I think we've had a good week. Questions, comments, observations? Or should we just do it again Monday? We can try again Monday. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, sir. Father Pianchi. Thank you. Be careful. And I'm, bro- and I'm Brother Greg. <laughs> we we got to do that more often. Okay. <laughs> that was fun. All right, you take care. All right, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks for your help with the show today. Um, this, is, this is an incredible week. I mean, go back over the shows we've done. 
You know, it's, I don't think about it a lot of times until I see the, the total amount of what we've done. It's pretty incredible. Um, and so you look at all these different things. It's like, whoa, how did we do that? <laughs> you know, so um, definitely go back over the shows. We've got some more stuff, uh, a lot of stuff coming up next week. Again, hopefully David Stockman uh, will be joining us maybe next week or the week after. And we'll talk. I really want to present my, uh, my constitutional limitation on Congress spending any money. Uh, to him and see what he says. He's the guy that was the architect of the Reagan uh, revolution, supply side revolution. He was the budget director, David Stockman, and Art Laffer was the economic uh, advisor that uh, basically created supply side economics. All right, let's play a little music, have some fun, and we will see you Monday morning at, uh, I think it's, I'm not sure yet, it'll either be 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. It depends if we get uh, Heather Strickland back to start her Rebel report. If she comes back, we'll be uh, 8 to, to 10 central time and uh, well, 8 to 11. And if not, it'll probably be back 7 to 10 normal time. So check, uh, check our broadcast page, blogtalksradio.com. Check my Facebook page. Uh, and I'll, I'll, as soon as I post the show, you'll know what time we're starting. All right. Have a great weekend. Uh, I'll see you all next week. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. 
Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.